Free Talk Live. Welcome to the program here. The phones are open and you can join us and bring up whatever's on your mind. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. In the studio tonight, it's Ian. And Aria. And joining us remotely, it's Mark. Mark is here. Where are you tonight, Mark? Oh, you, you don't like to say those things, do you? Secret location. Okay. Well, it's, uh, it's good to have you here uh, from wherever you happen to be on this new 2023 edition of Free Talk Live, which we discussed quite a bit last night uh, in the first two hours. We talked about advertising, the advertising model. Is it dying? Is it going away? Does it even work anymore at all? And I, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because we actually already have a caller who wanted to weigh in on that uh, particular oh, topic. Nice. Otherwise, there's all kinds of other things for us to talk about, including Bitcoin's 14th birthday today. Uh, but let's go first to David in Georgia. David, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Good evening, everybody. I'll make this quick. Um, first of all, you guys were mentioning yesterday about YouTube, and YouTube takes 30% of Super Chats when you get a Super Chat. Wow. So, so Aria was correct that if someone is going to donate... Going through a uh, Patreon, for instance, or some other more direct method is much preferred because the the people who would benefit are going to uh, benefit more. Absolutely. Just in the Monero. <laughs> yeah, well, it course. sort of amazes me. I mean, back when I did gaming streams all the time, I did have a little you know QR code up there that people could send multiple, that people could scan, scan in order to send me cryptocurrency, right? Mm-hmm. It amazes me that with YouTube taking 30% of the cuts and... Other huge cuts of revenue from various sources on YouTube ads and things like that, that more content creators aren't just slapping a QR code up there in the top right corner that, you know, could easily be scanned by anyone watching it. And just like that, it brings up a Bitcoin wallet or whatever. I think a lot of them do have Patreons. I think when when YouTube several but Patreon years takes ago, a huge cut too. Eleven percent is better than thirty, but when yeah. uh when YouTube started cracking down on channels, remember, like maybe five years ago, they started demonetizing people and people who had sort of thrown all their eggs into one basket and were just living off of YouTube revenue were shocked. Remember. They were shocked because they figured that was, you know, the gravy train was going to go on forever. And then all of a sudden it started drying up. That's when a lot of them started getting these alternatives like a PayPal or one of these other sort of uh, accounts. But David, what else did you want to share about it? I know that there is actually a Monero plugin, so like you can actually do like a super chat thing through Monero, where you donate the Monero, and then you, your little message shows up as the uh, in the stream. And the the other part was that you guys mentioned that Bitcoin.com had dropped their sponsorship after like a decade or something like that. Yes. And yep. I was thinking you might want to take a look into the Monero.com/slash/cakewallet. Um, I actually talked on Reddit with the person in charge of that. And he said he'd be quite interested, so I gave him the link to your advertising page and the mark, uh, the mark, marked email address. So okay. maybe he might be getting in contact with you guys. That's cool. all I had to say. We love Monero here at Free Talk Live. Thank you. I, I would love to be able to use Monero again, I but know, unfortunately, <laughs> hey. Aria, you and I are prohibited by uh, bail conditions. But I can still love it. You know, yes, you but you can uh, email that contact information to me at marketfreetalklive.com. I want to follow up on that. Thank you. Sure. Okay. Thanks, David. Anything else you want to share? No, nope, that's it. Thank Appreciate you. it, man. All right. So, Mark, um, any comments since we, we are just sort of rehashing briefly this sort of advertising discussion that we had last night? I don't know if you happen to catch it. Um, it. It lasted for mostly the first two hours of the show. 
Uh, do you think it makes it sound so boring when you're like, we were discussing advertising, but I mean, we were discussing so many things. Yeah, we were talking about television revenues uh, going down, television viewership going down, people uh, of a younger viewpoint just not responding to advertising in the same way, doing everything they can to avoid it. Uh, is the old model dying? Is it already dead? Well, um, there's a there's a book written, and I think it was in the late 90s, called uh, um, you know, Where'd They Move My Cheese? Or mm-hmm. Who Moved My yeah, Cheese? Yeah, Who Moved My Cheese? You know, somebody Moved the Cheese, something like that. And um, it's just sort of looking at how business changes over time, and business is changing dramatically. Um, it's it, and faster and faster. So when I started advertising, they would say that, uh, "Look, hey, you got to watch out. People are getting two and three hundred advertising messages per day." And you know, then by the time we started Free Talk Live, I was hearing rumblings of them cranking that number up to a thousand, and now I'm hearing that people are, you know, getting five thousand advertising messages per day. What does that and mean? So, um, you know, right now I'm looking at a computer and I see a Bitcoin sign. I see a Dell sign. I see a Jitsi uh, logo. Okay. Um, I, I see, you know, uh, the JVC. I think that's what that says. A- the number of ads uh, that you are being served, essentially. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm being served all kinds of ads constantly. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's just how our modern world is. Now, do I react to any of them? No. The answer is I don't. I haven't gone out. I'm, I, I, I've never bought another Dell because this Dell has served me well, and it has. Um, you know, like there's just all kinds of things I don't do that you've, uh, you know, in, in order to get your customer, it's much harder than it used to be to brand, um, you know, a given thing. Generally, when I buy tires, I'm going to buy Michelin because at some point in my life, somebody told me you can buy tires or you can buy Michelin. And, um, you know, that to me said that the most valuable people in my life can be kept safe with these slightly more expensive tires. So I'm going to buy those. And but I mean, you know, there's it's it's harder and harder to do in the world that Free Talk Live lives in. um, You know, we're. You know, we're on the radio and the ads come in in the middle of uh, the talking time. We're not in many cases endorsing things. But even when we do endorse things, you know, people are everything's constantly competing for people's attention. So I would say, yes, um, it's getting harder and harder to uh, to make your ad dollar make sense. And each advertiser has to be very uh, creative in order to make you know to to make their money back and that's not easy on the subject of creative ads i I wanted to bring this up last night but we ended up moving um into a different subject i'm reminded of the playstation 3 advertisement that was just a a baby doll sitting in a room in in a sterile environment a very dark room is a super eerie commercial weird made absolutely no sense whatsoever awful commercial however it got everyone talking about it. You remembered it, apparently. Well, no, I only remembered it because I recently watched a YouTube video about oh, okay. creative advertising. For I was, you know, just going on one of these random YouTube walks, right? Mm-hmm. And it happened to mention this one, which I had never even seen before. I don't even think I had a television at the time that the PS3 was out. But it was a very creative ad, but it was nonsense, and it didn't tell you anything about the PlayStation 3. Mm-hmm. All it did 
was get people talking about the commercial. And because they were talking about the commercial, they were talking about the PlayStation 3. And by that metric, it was tremendously effective. effective. However, it didn't do a thing to tell you anything to make people interested in the PlayStation 3. But did it sell PlayStation 3s? I don't know. Probably. When you're talking about a system like that, I think that um, it, it it depends, right? Like not every advertising uh, is the same. So um, Dynavite was mentioned on the show last night, as I recall. And, um, you know, with that, you're talking about a dog, Vitamin, who advertised for a very long time with Free Talk Live. And, um, you know, so you're trying to get one particular product sold, whereas with a PlayStation 3, you know, there's only three different consoles out, uh, maybe four. I'm not entirely sure. And people have to pick between them. There's mostly fanboys. You're trying to whip up excitement. Um, you know, you don't need to tell people that the Super Bowl occurs in January. You just kind of need to remind mm-hmm. them and that sort of thing. So it just de- it depends on where you are. And that's why they have, you know, Madison Avenue companies. And by the way, the vast majority of those people who uh, people who spend their money with those Madison Avenue advertising agencies, well, sorry, but you know they're not seeing a lot of return right now either. Hmm. Um, it's very tricky. All right. So uh, anybody can comment, of course, on anything you want to here. The number is 603-283-6160. And uh, today's a big, big day in the history of Bitcoin. Of course, we mentioned in the fall, it was, I believe, Halloween is the date on which the Bitcoin white paper was released. But the day on which the first block was mined, when the software actually went into effect, is apparently January 3rd, 2009, which was 14 years ago. So Pretty happy soon Bitcoin is going to be 18 and libertarians won't be interested in it anymore. <laughs> Happy birthday, Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin.com from news.bitcoin.com has a story about it. They say that it was 14 years ago that Satoshi Nakamoto launched the Bitcoin network and Block Zero at approximately 1.15 Eastern uh, in the afternoon on a Saturday. Satoshi's technology allowed, quote, online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Unquote. Since Bitcoin was born, it changed the financial system significantly and has sparked an entire cryptocurrency economy worth more than $800 billion in value. And I would point out it, tr- it peaked at over $2 trillion, uh, a year ago. I just can't imagine if Satoshi Nakamoto expected Bitcoin to be this successful on, on that day, 14 years ago. No, how when, could she or he? When, just that. on their laptop, they were like, you know, I've got this idea. I put it forward. I'm, uh, now I'm just going to I'm going to start it. I'm going to mine this block and see where it goes. And 14 years later, yeah. this is where we're at. Just amazing the trajectory that Bitcoin has been on, not from a value standpoint Mm -hmm. or financial value standpoint or a utility standpoint and how it's grown to serve the needs of so much of the world's community yeah it is thanks satoshi yeah absolutely whoever you are satoshi out there and whether or not satoshi is still breathing we we have no idea satoshi of course disappeared from the scene in 2011 that that person who's in prison in Bolivia or Venezuela or some, mm-hmm. whatever South American country that is, that's been one of the more compelling ideas I've seen for who could be Satoshi Nakamoto. There are a lot of interesting theories out there. Um, so far, we still have no real proof of any of it. No, and I wouldn't. Yeah, I would never also, expect to. 
I like Hal Finney. Um, he was certainly involved very early on, and he also died. Mm-hmm. So um, wrapped up. Nice. Yeah, he was he was one of the people that was definitely confirmed early on involved. It was uh, Craig Wright, who's the fake Satoshi, the guy that has been claiming publicly to be Satoshi for years and has never proven anything to prove that he's actually Satoshi. But he was around in the early days, along with this Hal Finney guy. And uh, yeah, there have been a lot of people that have said Hal kind of meets the profile. But again, he passed away from some sort of medical issues several years back. Well, realistically, anyone who was involved in Bitcoin, you know, 14 years ago or even 13 years ago will fit the profile of someone who could have been Satoshi Nakamoto because the only people who were into it in 2000, whatever it was, 2008, 2009 would have been people who were encryption experts and programming experts and just IT experts in general. Yeah, and a good chance that those people were a little on the older side. There's been, uh, for, for decades, this cypherpunk movement of people who kind of value anonymity. They value, in many cases, anarchism, uh, getting out from underneath the government's system of money. And Satoshi's Bitcoin was sort of the culmination or the uh, the apex, at least so far. Maybe you could argue Monero was uh, you know, next in, in line for that. But Satoshi's was such an important development financially. I don't think we've even really started to realize how important it is. I mean, some of us may have some idea from a philosophical standpoint, but society at large doesn't really get it quite yet. Uh, You mentioned Monero, though, and I I tend to believe that whoever created Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, was also the same person who created Monero because there's an argument for it. There is an argument for it, and there's some reason to believe it. And ultimately, it's just a matter of saying, I choose to believe that because Mm -hmm. Monero is an improved version of Bitcoin. It follows along the same trajectory. It improves a lot of things. It adds more privacy, more security. Yes. And it seems like Bitcoin version 2.0 to me. There are some people who say that the whoever the person was that wrote Monero, also an anonymous person, by the way, um, in their writing supposedly writes in the style of Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, maybe that's a way for the person who wrote Monero to throw off you know, people who are trying to figure out who that person happens to be, or it maybe it be. is actually Satoshi. Like if I was writing something anonymously, one of the more obvious steps to take would be to use British English. Right, which put, is what he did, or Satoshi. Did, I think right? so. Which is like to put a y- a U after an O in the word color and things of that mm-hmm. nature that an American wouldn't do. And if, if some person on the internet reading this would go, okay, well, this person's obviously British, and just like that, you've thrown them off your trail. Right, and that's such a simple little change a person could make. There's no telling. It's also a way to just sound pretentious if you just want to go ahead and do that too. <laughs> oh, if you really want to sound pretentious, use the word whilst. Whilst. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it does nothing that the word while doesn't do. It just adds a T. Yeah. It just adds dust <laughs> to it. And it there, sounds so there's a distinction. There's a distinction. There sure is. It sounds very posh. There's a distinction in English, English, um, but I couldn't tell you what it is off the top of my head. Well, when I, I was doing read it. editing, that the I looked into it and these common threads seem to be that there was absolutely no difference whatsoever. Except that whilst is more used in British mm-hmm. English. So right. today, so they use while and whilst, um, whereas we don't use uh, whilst. We use while in two different scenarios, and I can't describe it off the top. of When my you head, say so. whilst, I, I'm not. Are you using the same word I am? W i w h i l s t. You're right. Whilst. Okay. I've never heard a British person pronounce it whilst, which is okay. what threw me off. 
Of course, I don't know any British people. So the the British accent, uh, I mean, is it's it's so wide and varied just within a very small geographic area, and it's getting even more wide and varied as time goes by because they all want their geographic distinctions um, to go. So I'm sure some sail whilst and some sail whilst. I like the one where they put an R after every word that ends in an A. Like they do that in Boston. You mean with the pronunciation? Yes, and. I've seen so many threads of like British people claiming they don't even do that. It's like, how do you not hear it? I don't know. It's amusing to me. So 14 years later, the Genesis block came out. It's otherwise known as Block Zero, according to news.bitcoin.com. It's the first Bitcoin block that bootstrapped the network. Block Zero is special because there are no ancestral blocks before it. And it was hard-coded into the software so it would have an official starting point and every node can validate the blockchain from the very beginning. Because it's hard-coded, the Coinbase reward of 50 Bitcoin stored within the first block can never be spent. The 50 Bitcoin is stored in the Bitcoin address... And then they give it. And during the last 14 years, the address has seen a number of dust transactions sent to the wallet. That means at the time of the writing, the Bitcoin address has now 68.56 Bitcoin. So people have been donating Bitcoin to the uh, the Genesis block address over time. I did not know that. I sort of understand. I, I, I understand and I don't understand why someone would do this. Guys, Satoshi Nakamoto... Has plenty of Bitcoin. Well, plus you, he can never spend it anyway. It's locked. Right. Can, so it's is essentially the, is it's a that way true to, with to the burn. entire wallet or just the initial fifty Bitcoin? Just the first fifty Bitcoin. Okay, but the other eighteen point whatever that's been donated Ooh, could I be don't spent. Know. I don't know. That's a good question. What mark? Maybe it's just like a wishing well. Um, oh. you know, why do people uh, throw money into wishing wells? Mm. But they do. That's a really good point. I, I like that. That's the Bitcoin wishing well. Yeah. All right. So another well-known fact about Block Zero is the message that Satoshi Nakamoto encoded in the Coinbase parameter. The special field can Did be used say to... hello world. No, uh, it was actually an attack on the banking system. I'll, I'll share it with you here in a moment. The uh, special field can be used to include an arbitrary message in the block. Now, of course, most people would never see these things, but because it's the zero block, obviously a lot of people have looked here. And the message said, quote, the times 03 January 2009. So the date. Chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks. So it brings you back to what was going on in the world, especially in the United States and the UK at that time during the uh, the big, you know, semi-recession or whatever you want to call it. The housing market, of course, crashing uh, at that time and the US and apparently the UK government uh, rolling in with taxpayer money by turning on the printing press for the bailout of, uh, you remember GM, I think, got one. And, of course, the big banks got one for all their mortgages they were underwater on. But notably, Ford was the only American car company that did not get one. They turned it down, didn't they? I think so. And I, I don't remember they just weren't offered one. I just remember making a mental note at the time yeah. and just being impressed that even though they could have gotten one, Ford declined it. And that's impressive to me. The message has been interpreted in a myriad of ways, but mostly as a reference to the financial crisis and bank bailouts of 2008. Seems to be just a statement of fact, right? Like, this is what's happening today. Right. Well, now, some would would say that this was part of Satoshi's reason for creating Bitcoin. And I would agree. Right? To take the power of uh, money out of the hands of the banks and the governments of the world and to put it into the hands of the individual, this great decentralization of the money supply that is something that is such a threat to the status quo that we are now seeing a full-on assault 
14 years later against Bitcoin and its adherents and its advocates and cryptocurrencies, the industry as a, as a wider whole, uh, the SEC, of course, attacking Ripple, attacking Library and several other developers, the FBI going after people for simply selling Bitcoin online. Even those who actually got the government paperwork have been targeted. Uh, the guy. Yeah, there was a guy in, I think, Texas. Texas. Yeah. Risen, I think, uh, is his name. And he, he was ultimately accused of not having a state permit to operating a, a money transmitting business, even though his state, like New Hampshire, didn't require him to have one. That's right. Yeah. It, and he's now spending, uh, f- apparently it was like, I think it was like a 15 month sentence, but they must have cut it back because he's already, he posts regularly to uh, Twitter through his son who's operating his Twitter account and he's going to be out in like 60 days. So um, maybe he's okay. just going to a halfway house kind of like Cantwell did or or something like that. But still, the, uh, the dude took a plea deal because the feds threatened to come after his wife if he didn't yeah. just take a plea. Even though he did everything that he could legally do to try to jump through all the legal hoops. They still came after him. So it just goes to show that you are not safe. It doesn't matter. Like, think about Ripple. Ripple is, and when I say you, I mean like people that are trying to do something. Not just users. The average user, there's too many of those. They're not going to put everybody in jail. Well, they're also not trying to do anything, right? Right. Right. Somebody that's trying to create something. Somebody that's trying to perform some sort of service. uh, You are not safe. I mean, if you look at Ripple... Ripple is this crypto that was designed to be sold essentially as a tool for the banks. So they've always been trying to curry favor with the government, curry favor with uh, with the banking system, and be part of the system. They're not yep. like these outsiders like Monero or something like that. They, they want to be part of the system, and the system's coming after them. The system is trying to destroy that company, and they are destroying Library. And Library tried to tell the SEC... He said, uh, the library guy said to the SEC, look, just tell us what to do. We want to be able to comply with your rules so we can be, you know, move past this and, you know, keep building this technology. And they couldn't get an answer. There was no clear answer well, no, from if, the SEC. If the government to- provides an answer, then they can't prosecute everyone. If they tell you exactly right. what's illegal, then you'll know what's illegal. You'll know what to do. And if you do it, then they can't prosecute you. And let's not act like the government is one thing here. It's several different agencies which have several different definitions of what cryptocurrency Mm -hmm. is and all these sorts of things. There isn't, it's not just difficult to find out what to do. It's completely impossible. impossible. Yeah. Uh, There's more coming up here. You can join the show. The number is 603-283-6160. It's Bitcoin's 14th birthday. Happy birthday, Bitcoin. We're going to continue here in moments. This is Free Talk Live. Inflation is a real problem. The Federal Reserve's endless printing is eating away your savings. Savvy investors are diversifying into the most stable assets in recorded history, gold and silver. Get yours from bullionmax.com FTL without dealing with a salesperson. Your precious metal ship fully insured directly to your home. It's fast. It's easy. Free Talk Live listeners can get a special deal. Employee pricing on Bullion Max's Silver Starter Kit. Just go to bullionmax.com FTL. The kit includes five ounces of silver from the world's most popular mints. Plus, you'll get a free gold back. Just go to bullionmax.com FTL. It's the perfect time to invest in precious metals, so don't miss this limited-time special offer. Start your new investment with bullionmax.com slash FTL today. Bullionmax.com slash FTL. 
is Free Talk Live, and you can join the show here. The number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Free Talk Live is brought to you this hour by Bullion Max. BullionMax.com slash FTL. That's where you can go and get your silver starter kit at employee pricing. You get that because you're a Free Talk Live listener. And maybe you're new to silver and gold. Some of the most stable assets in recorded history. Savvy investors have been diversifying into silver and gold for generations, and now you can too. Or maybe you're not so brand new and you're just looking for a new uh, gold or silver option where you can buy a ton of variety. They've got that over for you at uh, bullionmax.com slash FTL. That's where you can get started and uh, help protect yourself from the constant inflation of the Federal Reserve. We've been talking about Bitcoin here, which is, uh, of course, another wonderful alternative. But uh, gold and silver were doing the same thing for people for much, much longer, long before 2009. We're talking about, you know, hundreds of years people have been protecting their wealth by getting into gold and silver. You can get five ounces of silver from the world's most popular mints, and they throw in a free gold bag. Just go to bullionmax.com slash FTL. That's bullionmax.com slash FTL. It's Ian, Aria, and Mark here uh, joining you tonight. We've been talking about the 14th birthday of Bitcoin, which is today, according to news.bitcoin.com, that has a, a piece here kind of about, you know, it gets a little bit too technical. So I'm not going to get into that part here where they talk about hash rates and and things like that. We don't really need to know about all that. But they do say that it changed everything because it introduced the first working solution to the Byzantine generals problem. Well, sort of. And and, and I, I dispute the idea that Bitcoin actually contributed anything on this particular. No, Bitcoin contributed a lot. Don't get me wrong. However, the very existence of 51% attacks, the continued existence of 51% attacks, although they're prohibitively expensive on the Bitcoin blockchain, that's because of the value of Bitcoin and so on, it doesn't actually do anything to solve that particular problem. 51% attacks still exist. If you have 51% of people who are bad actors, it will still destroy the entire plan. Bitcoin didn't fix that problem. It just made it prohibitively expensive. So I don't know enough about what the Byzantine general's problem is. I wouldn't be able to explain it in the full way that it's set up, but it's got something to do like you're in ancient time, ancient Rome, ancient Byzantium, you're attacking a city. All Your plan requires some percentage of your generals to either take a certain action at the same time or to not take an action at the certain time. If some of them are bad actors and they don't comply, it derails the entire plan. So okay. you need to come up with a way for... I've got it here. I've got it here. According to uh, Medium.com, imagine divisions of a Byzantine army attacking a completely encircled city. To proceed, the generals of each division who are dispersed around the city's periphery must agree on a battle plan. However, while some generals want to attack, others may want to retreat. In the official description of the Byzantine general's problem... Uh, which, uh, let's see, there's a leader-follower setup. In order to achieve consensus, the commanding general and every lieutenant must agree on the same decision. The conditions are described as follows. The commanding general must send an order to his N-1 lieutenant generals such that, one, all loyal lieutenants obey the same order, and two, 
if the commanding general is loyal, then every loyal lieutenant obeys the order he sends. It gets really confusing. And the, the problem here is, uh, the reason it gets confusing is because any one of those lieutenants could be a spy operating for the enemy city. And if they give one of those generals bad information, the entire plan fails. To complicate matters, the generals are so far apart from each other that the messengers are required in order for the generals to communicate. Also, one or more lieutenants may be a traitor intending to sabotage the situation. So given these conditions and the commander-lieutenant setup, can the army execute a strategy? The solution to the problem relies on an algorithm that can guarantee that, one, all loyal lieutenants decide upon the same plan of action, and two, the small number of traitors cannot cause the loyal lieutenants to adopt a bad plan. So the, loyal- say the 51% would be the disloyal lieutenants causing the, the blockchain to adopt the wrong plan. But the odds that that can happen are very, very, very Right, low. it's prohibitively right. expensive. It's not going to happen, that, that's for sure. But it's because, and this is why Bitcoin initially imposed the, the block size limit of one megabyte, and then ultimately I think it got increased a little bit with that a segment, and it all gets very, very complicated. However, the gist of it is that Satoshi Nakamoto knew this problem wasn't solved and that the Bitcoin blockchain needed some level of protection in order to prevent it to safeguard it against 51% attacks. The loyal lieutenants will do all uh, will all do what the algorithm says they should, but the traders may do anything they wish. The algorithm must guarantee the first condition regardless of what the traders do. The loyal lieutenants should not only reach an agreement, but should agree upon a reasonable plan. And so uh, Satoshi Nakamoto somehow solved this problem. I, I, you know, I presume that has to do with the fact that the blockchain is distributed and you know, constantly being checked upon itself to make sure that there's no uh, sneakiness going on with somebody trying to cook the books. So it's to true speak. that no, no one can slip in a false transaction into the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm-hmm. Like that aspect of it is true. But if enough of the lieutenants are disloyal, if enough of the yep. miners are bad actors, then they can derail the entire blockchain. Sure. Well, we understand that. I mean, that's what the, the 51% attack is. Right. The idea there is that 51% of the miners would uh, be bad actors and they would act to destroy the system, basically. Take it over and you know, and essentially destroy the value of Bitcoin, which, again, would be insanely prohibitively expensive when it comes to the right. Bitcoin blockchain. It's not practical. Because they would need to spend billions upon billions of dollars in order to attain the mining equipment necessary uh, and attain the hash rate necessary in order to be able to. It just from a from a uh, financial perspective, it's not even viable. Right, because the cost like of the ASICs and the miners and all of that equipment would go up, as well as the technological people who are setting it up. All of that would go up as the supply of their skills went lower because other people were buying it, and the, as the supply of ASICs went lower because more people were buying it. Well, so, but even yeah. if you could acquire it all in one fell swoop, it would be prohibitively expensive to do so. And then you would just what sink the value of the thing that you you know that you wanted to. I don't even uh, think you would because the rest of the world, in a very free market way, would just be like, okay, well, we're ignoring your blockchain now. We're continuing with this fork that isn't as corrupted as your. Blockchain. But in theory, you could then move your miners to attack that fork. If you had that much sure. much mining power, you could destroy any uh, any blockchain in the world. Good point. And the only organization that I can think makes uh, sense for that is an organization that cr- can create money. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have to be able to create money in order to, and then surreptitiously acquire enough ASICs. These are the special uh, computers. What does ASIC stand for, Aria? 
application-specific integrated circuit, I believe. I think so. I you get, yeah, applica- Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and maybe it's computer at the end. Anyway, the uh, these ASICs, uh, they would just turn them on all at once. Uh, it could be done, but like you said, prohibitively expensive. At this point, there's no organization that it makes sense to do this for. I can only come up with like the Federal Reserve, the United States government, um, the World Bank, uh, you know, whatever uh, issues the euro. Well, and the fact is, I don't is- think Russia could do it. Um, and I, China would, it wouldn't be good for China's economy to do it, in my opinion. Well, right. And that's, that is, you know, that, of course, a lot of people have been asking this question over the years is, well, what, if indeed it's true that the Federal Reserve is threatened by Bitcoin, why wouldn't they go through with the 51% attack? See, that's what people don't understand. The Federal Reserve, the U.S. government, they cannot be overtly evil. If they are, if they act in a way that is overtly evil, if they go out to destroy in, in this immoral, fraudulent sort of sense with the 51% attack, this piece of technology, that destroys the faith of the public. The only reason this entire stupid system exists is because the average person is able to walk around the world believing that the U.S. government is a force for good in the world. Well, but Bitcoin doesn't exactly have a force for good uh, reputation at this point. I mean, we saw the jury in Ian's trial basically, um, you know, like, I'm not so sure about this Bitcoin thing. The average person isn't sure. Mm -hmm. That's because they believe the U.S. government is a force for Uh good. U.S. government says this, therefore this. Well, then that's what I'm saying. That was exactly my point. Could say, hey, we got the white hat. Bitcoin's Mm, got the black hat. And, and and I would say that it was even true uh, in the past, more so. Obviously, it hasn't been done in the past. It can only be done in the future. Um, and I don't. I would think that in the near future, if an attack occurred, a fifty-one percent attack occurred on the Bitcoin network, that it would likely re- rally, win, and then the price would skyrocket because uh, it would show that it could stand up to that. But um, you know, you wouldn't want to do a fifty-one percent attack. You would want to do a sixty-five percent attack. I see your point, though, and I hadn't really thought that through considerably. Like, if the U.S. government were to do it, then the average person would think that it was an action, it was a good and just action, simply because the U.S. government had undertaken it. That's the idea, but I don't think that they could acquire, um, and I don't know if it's the U.S. government, I'm actually saying the Federal Reserve, uh, could acquire enough ASICs to do the job. At this point, when you know the Department of Education buys 100 shotguns, everybody's like, what's going on? Um, so it would be difficult to, you know, for, for the world not to know if, you know, a, the Federal Reserve was surreptitiously buying up ASICs. So another reason why they might not do this is because there are probably people within the Federal Reserve system who own Bitcoin, right? Like there's probably some people that have seen the value of this or at least have predicted that it may go up in value and they have purchased it on their own personal recognition and they don't want to see that fail, right? Like they may still indeed believe in the the Federal Reserve and the government and the CBDC, the central bank digital currency or all of that. But on the back end, uh, they probably don't tell their buddies that they've got themselves their own little Bitcoin collection. They don't want well, to we know see that it go some, down. Uh, that that's true because some people have left the Federal Reserve and come over to our side and started working within the Bitcoin world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as sort of regulator helps helpers and in, um, interfaces and that kind of thing. So I think you're right. I think Bitcoin's here to stay, but I'm just trying to come up with the only system I think that could bring it down at this point. 
Well, according to Crypto51.app, this is a website that lists, uh, allegedly, I mean, I presume it's, it's accurate, uh, lists the current hash rate, which is the amount of uh, computing power that is being directed towards mining a specific uh, proof-of-work cryptocurrency. I, I can't imagine what it is at this point. I mean, I'm... Well, it's down. Okay. Uh, from what it was. I'm but, still like two years uh, behind on this, right? But yeah. it's going to at least, I, I, would, I would guess, 70 terahash. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, it's going to be the P1 now. Peta, yeah, peta hash. It. Uh, 261,951 peta hashes. What that means, I don't know. But it does translate it into what they believe it would cost in dollars in order to attack the network for one hour of time. Because in order to you know do this fifty one percent attack, you have to dominate the network for you know as long as yep. you possibly can, and it's six hundred ninety one thousand nine hundred seventy two dollars, so just under seven hundred thousand dollars for one hour of a fifty one percent attack against the Bitcoin. Uh, but it needs network. much more than one hour. Yes, yeah, that's right. Well, and also remember that during a fifty one percent attack. As I understand this. Now, if there's somebody out there that knows a little bit more about this than I do, because we've seen these things happen on smaller networks. Uh, Bitcoin SV, for instance, was attacked a couple of years ago, if I recall correctly, before we got raided. I remember they were uh, they were attacked. And basically what happens when a uh, 51% attack is going on is the word gets out. Hey, Bitcoin network's under attack. You know, don't transact. Because if you transact... If you try to say, if I were to try to send you, which we can't do, uh, Aria, because we're Obviously. on bail conditions, but if we weren't on bail conditions and we were allowed to use cryptocurrency, let's say we were trying to use, uh, you know, Litecoin or something like that, as something that's more attackable. Uh, Bitcoin Cash, for instance, says here Bitcoin Cash would cost about $3,300 an hour to run a 51% attack. Word gets out that says, hey, there's an attack going on, don't use it. If during that time frame I were to try to send you Bitcoin Cash, then the attackers could effectively redirect those coins to their own wallet, is what they could do. Mm. Uh, but they can't take coins out of your wallet. So as long as you don't authorize a transaction during the 51% attack, just because they quote-unquote own the network over 50% of the hash rate... That doesn't mean that they all of a sudden get your private key and can just reach in and take your Bitcoin. Right. So it really only affects the people who don't get the memo that there's a 51% attack going on. And that's going to be most people, right? Because, I mean, that's most, people, be most yeah. yeah, most people don't know. But the fact is the word would get out. And that's one of the reasons why you need to keep on attacking because you have to keep owning uh, the network. So yeah, the you longer would have to you attack it, for an hour here, one week and an hour no, the next week. No, you want to keep it going. You want to de- if you want to destroy but, the network, then you want to make it unusable, right? That's going to destroy the value of Bitcoin. If you can dominate the the network for a long enough time, people are going to go elsewhere. They're going to move okay, their yeah. their you know, and the price of Bitcoin is going to going to tumble. I was thinking of like point. if every if there, if ten percent of transactions were subject to a fifty one percent attack because someone had that level of power over the Bitcoin network, just to do it randomly. I see but what they you're did saying. it randomly. Yeah. I, I would stop transacting. It's not worth the risk, right? Let's go to the phones here. Uh, we got a gentleman on the line here. You're on uh, Free Talk Live. What's your name? Hey, it's Reverend Ratspeed. Hey, Ratspeed. What's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to mention uh, the Byzantine generous problem. I, d- I wanted to clarify something, and then I wanted to propose something for you to, to discuss. The Byzantine generous problem only handles an attack up to 51%. So Bitcoin actually does 
uh, address it. If you have an attack that's over 51%, it's no longer a Byzantine general's problem. That's simply a, a, a takeover of basically the majority. Hmm. So That's a fair point. Yeah, I'll so, accept that. And the other thing, too, is I think we're kind of worried about the things that we shouldn't be worried about. Um, I think the Byzantine general's problem has been completely uh, – the network itself has been completely overtaken as of 2018 because of the whole SegWit thing. I thought it was very peculiar that back in the day when that quote-unquote soft fork was happening and then all of a sudden the new Bitcoin retained the old name – of Bitcoin when, in fact, that was the soft fork. Are right, you going to have to – even I'm a little bit lost here. Are you referring oh, to okay. when uh, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin had their schism back in 2017? Uh, correct. Bitcoin Cash is Bitcoin. It's not a fork. That's what people were led to believe well. through the propaganda by because once you change the code and inject something else that was not in the previous code, that well, let's be fair. I mean, before. Bitcoin Cash has changed the code many times since it, uh, and it since had changed right. before, though. I mean, there, there were many hard forks in Bitcoin's history prior to the one in 2018. Oh, correct. But all of the forks, in other words, whatever the majority was, was retained retained the name Bitcoin, right? I which which was still the case after 2018, when the majority still retained the name of Bitcoin. It just was separate. So what my proposal is is that once that happened, once SegWit and other extra extra stuff was put into the code, the Byzantine generals problem is null and void outside of that network. Just the same way that a virtual machine can be manipulated like a, a marionette by the strings of the host computer. In other words, you basically had a fish eat up another fish. You had, the, and what was the big fish that ate the smaller fish? It was the banking system. Mm-hmm. I think that... You're talking about moment, how Bitcoin was sort of taken over quietly from the inside by... Uh, big bankers who essentially paid the paychecks because the, the programmers of Bitcoin never got paid by anybody up until and, like 2016. And, and then and they started. Remember, good. Yeah, if you remember, the people that were on the side of the soft fork into SegWit were the miners who stood to lose everything that they had invested in by getting all those really expensive hardcore GPU units, ASIC units, because. Once, if the scaling of the blockchain had progressed as Satoshi originally intended, which is what Bitcoin Cash stayed with, all they did was they, they started splitting it the way that it was supposed to, then they would have lost their profits. They didn't want to lose their profits. Therefore, the people that who, were, who stood the most to lose put, them, put, put together a propaganda campaign to overtake the coin and make it what they wanted it to be. And I don't know also- if I necessarily think the miners were responsible for that. I'm building most of my history of Bitcoin off of the documentary Who Killed Bitcoin? And it made a pretty compelling case that it wasn't the miners who were pro-Segwit. It was the banking industry and these these 
wealthy figures who had co-opted Bitcoin for their own purposes, whose names I can't remember, but they're affiliated with all sorts of groups. And it's like they're connected to this group and these guys are connected to this group. And it comes back to the Council of Foreign Relations or whatever. I think what Ratspeed is saying here is that the miners, you know, maybe they didn't lead the charge, but exactly. ultimately the they went in the direction of what they thought was financially beneficial right. for them, which was to get $5 fees on every transaction right. instead yeah. of five cent if, fees. Exactly. If the, if the banking industry is considered the mafia, then who's the mafia going to try to pay off the most to get them to go their way? The rich, powerful miners in the, in the Bitcoin network. Sure. And then once, once that new code is injected into it, which was SegWit, suddenly the whole thing is, uh, to use the expression from, from Britain, cocked up. It basically is completely null and void. And so the whole Byzantine general's problem, it really doesn't matter anymore. That's why I think it was so important for people to switch over to Bitcoin Cash at the very minimum when that soft fork happens. Well, I mean, if the miners... You can prove the miners yeah. didn't care about the principle of the matter. They just wanted to make money because if they had cared about the principle, they would have moved over to Bitcoin Cash, and most and of them it, didn't. Yeah, it, and if you'll notice that most of the major political changes and, and shifts that happened in the Bitcoin realm happened after that soft fork. Before that soft fork happened, there really was no foothold in this entire Bitcoin mining operation or, or the, the currency. After... after 2018, that's when government started stepping in. Why are you calling because it a soft fork? I'm, I'm just curious. That's what they called it. I think, personally, soft fork is just as a prop- much of a propaganda term as, as you know, calling the government a government. Well, the the <laughs> 2018 I mean? fork was, yeah. by all accounts, a hard fork, wasn't it? Oh, no. Yeah. Well, okay, so according to all of the articles... It was a chain fork, is yeah, what that, it was. That's a hard chain fork. fork. Everyone was calling it a soft fork. You could look it up. So they were trying to make it seem like it was, oh, don't worry. This is just a soft fork. You don't have to worry about things. I know what he's talking about. He's saying that the fork, quote unquote, fork for Bitcoin, BTC, into the right. new code that they were going to use was indeed a soft fork. It wasn't a hard fork. But right, then the BCH happened, fork was the hard fork. But then what happened was there was a chain fork that happened, which is different from a coding it's not really so much a coding standpoint it was just that they went off in their own direction and the btc went in another direction and so you had a chain split at that point and for listeners that don't know what that means it means that on the blockchain from the very beginning the blockchain is essentially a uh, a distributed ledger of all the transactions that have ever happened on a given cryptocurrency so in the case of bitcoin Starting January 3rd of 2009, their blockchain started, and and then in, I think it was August 1st of 2017, if I recall correctly, was the day on which that that schism happened, where there were then two copies of the Bitcoin blockchain that became into into existence. One of them was Bitcoin Cash, the other was Bitcoin, but they all had the same transactions right up until the moment of that split on their chain, and then they started having different transactions from that point forward, and they've been competing ever since. And my point in bringing all this up is I think it was unfair for Bitcoin Cash to be called Bitcoin Cash when that was the true Bitcoin, unchanged. Bitcoin plus Segwit became the fork, therefore they should have been forced to change their name, not the other way around. Well, no one was but, forced to do anything. It was it was a matter of the market and how most people understood the thing. Well, yeah, you and, said yourself well, that the most popular one is the one that gets to name maintain the uh, name of Bitcoin. 
well, you say that the market decided this. Well, it, whoever, whomever decided to change their code and begin introducing SegWit into the code, yes, that was a, that was a market change. But what if those were the people that were being paid off? Well, the guy who created GIF insists that it's supposed to be pronounced GIF, but you got a 99% of people out there and it's pronounced GIF. Well, yeah, but, but look. At that uh, point, I mean, it, and there's no Byzantine problem for, for GIF. So, well, Ratspeed, I get what you're saying, but the reality of it is uh, most of the miners went with the original BTC blockchain. And then most of the, uh, the exchanges out there were the ones that said, okay, well, the original BTC blockchain should still be cons- Not considered Kraken, they BTC. called it XBT. No, I think they've been doing that. Oh, have they? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, thank you for the call, Ratspeed. I do appreciate hearing from you. Hour number two is on the way. You can share your thoughts on Bitcoin's birthday. Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live. You can join us here as we kick off the second hour of the program. The number is 603-283-6160. Bring up whatever is on your mind. Here tonight, it's Ian. And Arya. And Mark. And we also have Mark out there as well. We've been talking about Bitcoin's birthday 14 years ago, January 3rd, 2009. Bitcoin was created. Uh, Bitcoin was released. I guess it was being created prior to that, but it was released to the public. Anyone who wanted to could download the software and begin mining Bitcoin, which at the time was worth absolutely nothing. But you'd get 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes would go to the lucky miner that was able to mine the block uh, into existence. And by the way, the Bitcoin continues to this day. It's roughly every 10 minutes that a new block, quote unquote, is mined. And what that means is, is that every transaction that has been uh, entered, if you will, someone has said, I want to send somebody Bitcoin or whatever. They put a blockchain, uh, they put an entry into the blockchains, what they call mempool. And then when the mining of the block happens and all of those waiting transactions are then officially made permanent on the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. A portion of them. At least a megabyte's worth of them. Right. Uh, So if there's too many transactions, then only the ones that are paying the most will get into that block and the rest have to wait. And And this is why... I can't get into the technical reasons for it, but this is why Bitcoin SV made one of the best decisions ever by removing the block size definition on the blockchain. Right. I wish that the other blockchains would do it. Yeah, and we had uh, Ratspeed on the line just a few moments ago who was advocating that Bitcoin Cash was the, the one true Bitcoin. And look, I am not a maximalist of any coin i am someone who believes that as long as the coin works for the purposes of what it's supposed to do and it does it affordably then i like it right so i like that bitcoin cash works cheap i like that dash works uh, cheap monero i like that it's private uh and bitcoin sv also works cheap from from what i understand uh the problem of course is that bitcoin sv was headed up is the bitcoin sv problem is a personal problem the Bitcoin SV problem isn't so much a technological issue. It's the guy that is its biggest proponent is a what appears to be a total scumbag. Yeah, he's a complete hack. Yeah, and yeah. he sues everybody who says something about him. So I'm surprised we haven't gotten hit 
uh, with a lawsuit yet, but we're probably just not large enough as far as uh, influence. Our friend Roger Veer, of course, has been sued multiple times uh, by the gentleman's name is Craig Wright. And he loses time after time after time after bringing these uh, fallacious, uh, frivolous cases against people just for saying things that he doesn't like. And so the fact that they've got this guy sort of at the helm as their spokesman or whatever is what really has sunk uh, Bitcoin SV as a viable competitor to Bitcoin. But the truth is, Bitcoin SV, if you want to go with what's the most like the original Bitcoin, it's Bitcoin SV. There's no doubt about it. It is. As far as the Bitcoin, the quote unquote Bitcoin brothers or the Bitcoin options that are out there, because Bitcoin Cash has had upgrades. So what Ratspeed was saying was that at the moment in time that Bitcoin Cash became Bitcoin Cash, that it was had a better claim to his mind. That's true. uh, Than Bitcoin did to the name Bitcoin, BTC. Absolutely true. Yep. I totally agree with that. I don't know. We didn't get a chance to talk to him, and I don't think it really particularly matters. It's uh, much more of a how many angels and heads of pins and all this good so- sort of thing. Um, you know, which which one is most like Bitcoin? You know, I don't know that that matters. I think that what matters is is what people want and what people like. And I I I wonder about the marketing tool of saying, for instance, ladies and gentlemen, the twenty twenty three. Model T Ford, right? Like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like, um, you could even, you can't even roll out a Model T Ford right now in America. There's mm-hmm. so many of the cafe standards and all these sorts of things. You'd be, you'd be thrown in under the prison just for trying to sell a Model T Ford um, as a new car. Well, and of course, I'm being accused in the chat room of simping for Bitcoin SV, and nothing could be further from the truth. I am not a fan of Bitcoin SV. I think it's just an absolute uh, dumpster fire of a uh, of a cryptocurrency. I was just simply saying from the perspective of somebody that wants the one that's quote-unquote true to the original Bitcoin, that's the one that is closest. But Mark, you make a great point. It's like, why is that valuable to people? What is, Bitcoin's once every 10 minute block. I mean, every other cryptocurrency that has come out since then has been faster than that as far as its ability to is confirm transactions. Is it like every five? Uh, 2.5. Okay. Yeah, they did a... If, I mean, there's benefits. If anybody wants to know which one um, makes my heart flutter just a little bit, the one that I'm truly in love with, the answer is Monero. Oh, okay. Mark's I was a Monero man now. That's good. I've been over here. I was curious because I know I've been, you know, kicking this this horse that is the blockchain uh, block size definitions for a very long time. So I was curious when I first talked about the need to remove blockchains block size definitions from Bitcoin, and it was five years ago. That was when you first talked yeah. about. It. Yeah, I can't find the full article. I just found sort of a mirror of it. But yeah, mm. five years ago, the article is. Why we need to remove, why Bitcoin block size definitions must be removed. And they haven't, they haven't done a damn thing since that time. No, and it's, time. it's killing the network. Yeah, it's it, too bad. It causes the individuals, the, transact, the people out there trying to use Bitcoin to spend more money to compete with each other. Right. Instead of how it should work, which is the miners are competing with one another to claim our transactions. Because the more transactions they claim, the more money they should make. They should be competing with each other, but they're not. They've cartelized. Well, and this goes back to what Ratspeed was, he referenced, but we didn't get into in detail, was the fact that bankers started paying a company back in 2015, 2016, somewhere in that range, 
that uh, what are they called? Blockstream. Stream. Blockstream. Yeah. They started paying this company called Blockstream to then uh, pay the developers of the key developers of Bitcoin a salary. Yo, know, that's a great thing, right? Like we're gonna pay these guys. They're doing something good. Hey, we're. But then they, of course, became owned by Blockstream and the sort of the vision for that company, which was to keep Bitcoin slow and keep it small and keep it to where it's full. Keep it to where the network is constantly full of transactions to where is what you were saying, Aria. People are bidding up the price of the fees in order to get their transactions ahead of, of the rest of them. And we saw what happened in 2017 where fees were going up to 5 6 $10 per transaction. It hasn't gone that high since that time, but it could. If Bitcoin ever became as popular as if there was ever such a run on it as there was back in 2017, you would see those those fees go up again. Maybe that'll never well, we've happen. We've seen again. transaction uh, transaction costs go as high as a hundred dollars now. Um, in 2017. Well, it depends, on, yeah. it depends on how much data you're sending, right? If you're sending from 15, because you're using an HD wallet, and I don't want to get into the technicals yeah. of what that is, but if you're basically sending from 15 different wallets to send half a Bitcoin because each one has 0.001 Bitcoin in it, that's going to cost it you a lot more. more. Yeah, that's true. Yep, sure is. And um, I did talk to a Blockstream guy at one of the conventions. I mm-hmm. think it might, I can't remember which one it was, but I'm sure you were at it too, Ian. But we um, somehow or another, I got sat at a table with him. And I tried to get an explanation out of him on the small blocker uh, argument. Couldn't get one that made sense. Um, I mean, so far, I have yet to hear a small blocker make a, an argument that I can understand as to why uh, you know they, they want what they want. But I'd also like to point out that there's sin on the other side, too. There's uh, sin on the big blocker side, which is to say that Bitcoin Foundation existed before Blockstream. They attempted to pay these uh, developers something, but nobody could kind of come up with who should pay them and nobody wanted to donate to do it. Mm -hmm. And the donation model didn't work in kind of the way it doesn't work with free talk live, right? Like, um, you know, the, when, when Blockstream came in and said, Hey, don't worry, we'll pay them. We, the banks, maybe the CIA, we're not entirely sure who it is, but we'll pay them. Don't worry. That's it. And that's not the banks or the CIA's fault. That's the people who refuse to pony up the money initially. That's their fault. Well, I'm not going to blame people who didn't want to pay for something that they already were getting for free. I can understand why that uh, why that is. You know, I'm sure their perspective was, well, Bitcoin works. If you live in a fantasy land where things are free, Ian, you're going to pay the consequences. If you're not paying. You're the product. Well, the fact is, these uh, programmers should have had some principles, you know, instead of letting themselves be owned by some bankers for 50000 a year. Or well, their principle the was, was to make money, right? What's more libertarian than that? But that wasn't the principle of Bitcoin. The principle of Bitcoin right. was to undermine the financial system and give the power of money back to the indiv- or to the individual for the first time ever. But the that miners were interested. We, we in still it. aren't certain who Blockstream is. It's just conspiracy theory who Blockstream is. No, it's so, not. They come it, right out on their website and tell you who their investors are. Did they say that back in 2018 or whenever? I'm pretty sure they did. Yeah, because they had to do public funding rounds. Well, I I couldn't tell you, but what I can tell you, I can tell you, you AXA Bank, uh, Digital Currency Group, which is made up by uh, Mastercard, among others. So those are two of the big ones. 
Yeah, the yeah, FTC, I, as far I as think. I'm concerned, if you think that things are going to go along for free, you are uh, living in a fantasy world. And if you live in a fantasy world, expect reality, reality to come smack you in the face on the regular. Well, nothing was free. In, in here, it was right? darn close to free. Well, no, because... The, the you devs pay, thought it was free because they the, weren't getting paid, Aria. You paid the price. Well, developing something like this is... It's always going to be a labor of love, right? No one, there, there's no organization to pay the Bitcoin developers for paying. It. Well, that's what he's, that's what he's now bemoaning. He's bemoaning the fact that somebody tried to raise money for them apparently, and they didn't get enough, and but so the bankers, the bankers yeah. outbid them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and now I, I the don't bankers and, what and, the, the bank, and to and to the winner goes the spoils, and there you are, Bitcoin of the spoils. Yeah, it sucks, well, but I mean that's the way it happened. Yeah. Uh, I, I get it. I mean, I mean, but there's no guarantee that even if people had ponied up money, that these people wouldn't have been outbid by the bankers. I mean, these... I'm saying that if you don't learn the lessons that life teaches you, and this is a lesson, and there is a lesson to learn from it, then you are doomed to repeat it. And what you're saying is, but why the poor, the poor people, and and why couldn't the developers? Why didn't the developers work for free? Well, I'll tell you why they didn't work for free because that's not what we call work. Well, you don't understand uh, free software, Mark. There's developers all over the planet that work for free to develop software. Linux, of course, is a great example of it. Satoshi Nakamoto. Satoshi Nakamoto. I mean, there's a ton of people that have done this. Now, they have ways of monetizing, for instance. So, for instance, with Linux or with like Ubuntu, you don't have to pay for the software. But if you want to get somebody to give you a tutorial, if you want to have them walk you through how you use the software, you got to pay for that, right? Like, So there's some paid support uh, that you can do. And in the case of Bitcoin... The developers were doing it ostensibly because they thought it was a good idea, but the idea that they couldn't somehow monetize that, um, hello, you're a developer, you can mine Bitcoin just like the, the rest of people can, and then you work on the software to make it better to make sure that your investment works out in the long run. I mean, it had by its incentives. By 2018, mining wasn't a viable way for developers to make money. Now, if they had been in from for a long time and they had, um, you know, had the foresight to do such a thing, but let's remember that um, Andreas Antonopoulos, one of the you know the the early voices of Bitcoin, his claim was he didn't really have any Bitcoin when you know I don't remember when this was like 2017 or something like that. He's like when asked how much Bitcoin does he have, he's like I really don't have any. Um, I've always just kind of gone around and spent it and used it and and talked about it, but I I never held on to it. You know uh, the foresight that some have had isn't the same as the foresight of others. And I would say that I am very familiar and working in projects for free. Free Talk Live exists in part because in total, because you and I chose to work on it for free for a number of years. And right now I'd say, Hey, what am I getting paid for tonight? And the answer is nothing because I'm here working on a a labor of love for free. Well, right. Activism tends to not be very uh, financially rewarding. That's just the reality of it. I get what you're saying. You're bemoaning the fact that not enough people ponied up to to essentially pay these developers, and so they were easily able to be snatched up by the banks. I'm not just bemoaning that. I'm bemoaning that humans continue to do such a thing. Like, expect... Like they, they keep on expecting things to just exist for free. Look at look at the newspapers um, online dying because and journalism is dying 
because people won't pay for what they want to consume in the form of news. Why would well, because we live in a world where we don't have to pay for this stuff anymore. Why would someone yep. want to pay for the New York Times? I don't know it's about garbage. the New York Times, um, but I'm going to tell you that journalism, people still want to consume that. They still want to read mm-hmm. news stories, but they want to read them for free. Well, now and- you can go to, uh, what is it, Substack, and you can subscribe to Edward Snowden, or you can subscribe to Glenn Greenwald, and you can get their news, their opinion or whatever, directly from them, which you can read for free, but it does hit you with the opportunity to subscribe. I suspect a very small percentage of people. I hope that model works. I don't know if it does. I suspect uh, a small percentage of people will subscribe, just like in the same way a small percentage of our listeners subscribe to the Free Talk Live AMPS program. But the reality is, I mean, there's so much competition out there these days that the people who used to make good money doing journalism, they're going to have to work a lot harder and they're not going to make as much money. Works or doesn't work is kind of irrelevant at this point. The fact of the matter is that... That's the game that's in town. That that's what you got to. That's the way you can make any money whatsoever. If you want to stay in journalism, yeah. if you want to stay in you know entertainment, yeah. Maybe it's only ten dollars an article versus the five thousand dollars an article you were making two years ago, but it's the only way. I mean, the other the alternative is to run advertise clickbait ads and stuff like that on your website, and that's that's crap. That's not going to bring you yeah. anything either. Well, the clickbait ads uh, supposedly bring quite a bit of uh, um, revenue, but I don't know the answer. seems to be drying up as far as I can tell. It, then maybe you know I'm not paying that much attention to these things anymore. Um, but what I can say is is that the consumer – I think that the consumer is to blame in part too. Not just the – I mean, you know, as a journalist, at some point or another, you're going to get tired of – of chasing smaller and smaller, uh, you know, payouts. And you're going to sure. be like, you know what? I can go work someplace else. Go work at and McDonald's. I can do something else. Yeah. I, don't, I doubt McDonald's is going to be their choice, Ian. At least until you um, get replaced by an automation system. They now have McDonald's. There's a test market in, I think, Fort Worth, Texas, where they've rolled out completely automated drive through technology what happens when the supply of journalists go down mark because they're, they're like screw this i'm not making enough money i'm gonna go get a different career doing something else what what happens to the then rest that of the journalists fill, then, it, then their um, spaces will be filled by people who are willing to do the work for quote-unquote free and what that means is, is that you will no longer have quote-unquote unbiased journalism you don't have that You'll now have people i don't know that we ever Mic did drop but yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think anybody's won this. What I'm trying to tell you is what I'm just trying to say is, is that, hey, look, you know, you're I mean, there ain't nothing for free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no free news. There's no free nothing. No, but the fact is news, competition Marcus, drives prices down. Mark and, is coming at this from the, uh, such an old media perspective. It's like he didn't listen to last night's show at but all. He did listen based on what he was saying. Uh, I mean, the, the fact is there's more competition now than ever before. And that's the point that I made in my email this week to the radio industry explaining why we've dropped 72% of our commercial inventory from at least our online feeds. And radio stations now have two fewer breaks an hour uh, explaining to them that, look, it, radio used to be sitting pretty. It used to be 30 years ago. If you were in radio, your only competition, at least as far as audio entertainment was concerned, was the station across town or the stations across town. And that was it. I mean, now we're competing with Tim Pool, and I guarantee you, he's not going to commercial break even once an hour. Yeah, I've never watched the guy's show. I don't either. I've only seen clips. I mean, he may be going to commercial. Doesn't he use uh, YouTube ads? I have no idea. 
Well, he's one of those shows that's so popular, uh, he just keeps getting donations all night. Like, there's people just throwing money at this guy, you know, just because he's so popular. So that's that's one of the, so they they're connecting directly with their uh, with their viewers and, and with their listeners. But the point I was making to the radio stations is, you know, radio used to be sitting pretty. We had no competition. And then all of a sudden in the year 2000 or thereabouts, online streaming started to become a thing. It wasn't really much competition, but it was there. And then five years later, at uh, you know 2005, podcasts became a thing where you could then d- automatically deliver an MP3 file to uh, listeners that wanted to receive it without any kind of clicking having to happen. They just woke up in the morning and there it was on their MP3 player. And that's become much more popular in the last uh, 15 or, or so years. And then you add uh, the smart speakers that came out within the last decade. You add into that satellite radio, of course, which is another uh, competitor. And there's so many other listening options now for the average person. Radio cannot keep going about doing things the way they've done things forever and that's true for everybody. It's true for journalism now as well. That used to be the newspaper. It was rare that newspapers even had a second paper, but some places, some bigger markets had a second uh, daily paper. Now you can't so find let's that. Let's talk about Howard Stern uh, for a second. Well, before we do that, let's carry on with Ian's point just just a tad bit further. And your point about you know people wanting stuff for free because that's it, it may be the consumer's fault. I don't know, but when I listen to content, when I listen to a show or a podcast or watch a video. It is free. It damn well better stay free. And if it's not, I'm going to go find one that is. And if I really like the content, I will subscribe to them via Patreon or something like that. Because I am subscribed to a couple of websites that's you know, creators with Patreon. Mm-hmm. But if, if a single one of them ever says, you have to pay a dollar to listen to this podcast, I'm out. The um, well, I mean, Patreon offers free things to, uh, you know, people get things uh, early. They'll get uh, special content, uh, Patreon content and and a variety of things. There's ways to do that. So you could very well they could very well be releasing um, content, a podcast, for instance, that you're not that you've got to pay to get. Um, However, the, right, but that's um, not quite what I meant. But you are well. Correct. What I mean is, is that people like Howard Stern, maybe Rush Limbaugh, who's not, of course, dead. Um, you know, a variety of content producers can say, you know what, I need to get paid the way I need to get paid. And if you want to listen to Howard Stern, you're going to have to do it in a small variety of ways. Um, among them being the Sirius XM um, channel. That's you know, pretty sure that's the only go. way you can do it. Is it? I, I don't yeah. know. That's why um, they pay him, you know, what they pay him because and they he's pay him exclusive. a tremendous amount. And if they didn't, if they weren't getting subscribers, they wouldn't be able to pay him. Um, so, you know, are they still getting some... subscribers? How does. Yeah, they're still getting subscribers. Uh, how does Joe Rogan get paid what he gets paid when his uh, isn't his free? Uh, yeah. Spotify pays him. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah Spotify do... puts ads into show, I would presume mm-hmm. the same way that they did with us when we were. But he's uh, not behind Spotify. a paywall. Well, Spotify has said uh, Joe Rogan is valuable enough that we will pay him and put ads in him. He's not behind a paywall if you subscribe to Spotify. Like, I could go listen to a show and not be starting the ads because I have a premium Spotify account. But can you subscribe to him without subscribing to Spotify? Yes, but then you'll get the ads. Got it. Uh, But still, he's not behind a a paywall. And, you know, they think that Joe Rogan's valuable enough to they'll forward that it'll forward hit their platform. Uh, the number here, if you want to join us, 603-283-6160. You can bring up whatever's on your mind, whether it's automation, the increase in choices in the market, driving prices down, 
or whatever is on your mind here tonight on Free Talk Live. More coming up. Talk Live. The phones are open here. If you want to join the show, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Ian Aria Mark joining you tonight. And you can join us online anytime you want. want to say thank you to Thomas Knapp, who is a Free Talk Live supporter of our AMPS program. You can join AMPS and join Thomas over there at amps.freetalklive.com. That's amps.freetalklive.com. That stands for Advertise, Market, Promote, and Support. This is a way for you to directly support what we do, which is becoming more and more important. I mean, we saw the vision for this in 2005 when we launched AMP. That was That's how long this has been around now. It's been around for more than you know 17 years, uh, helping support Free Talk Live directly, helping us get the word out to other radio stations because even though radio is certainly you know doesn't have the influence that it used to it still has a lot of incumbency there's still a lot of stations a lot of people listening on a uh, a regular basis we are seeing the numbers go down over time as we're seeing uh, other listening methods and I'm, when I say we, I mean the industry, just right. generally. When they do studies and they look at, well, how do you listen to your audio entertainment? There's a lot more people these days that listen to podcasts uh, than ever before. So we know the competition's out there. Uh, of course, we do have our own podcast. But if you want to connect directly with us, then the AMP, AMPS program is the way to do that. And thank you, Thomas, for stepping up. It's 5 bucks a month. That's all we're asking for. And it's amps.freetalklive.com. That is where you can go. Uh, to uh, to sign up for that and get some of the the perks that we have access to, like the uh, the Amp Only podcast, which has our full radio show without any of the recorded commercials. Let's go to Phil in California. Phil, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead. Okay, first of all, I want to say I'm not that weirdo who called up yesterday, um, but I did want to talk about uh, uh, Elon Musk. I don't know what to think of this, but he's putting out all these tweets. He's got a Venn diagram with like 1984, Brave New World, Paradise 451. And then his one tweet that caught my eye here was it says, U.S. government agency demanded suspension of 250,000 accounts, including journalists and Canadian officials. Wow. So I just want, um, if he's, he's putting out all this stuff, I mean, where, where is he coming from? Like, I, I don't know what to think of this guy. Well, what, are you, what are you guys well, we've been covering a lot of it here. I, I did see he released something fresh today, and I didn't take the time to look at that this particular one. It just seemed more sort of in the same theme of the old Twitter would do whatever the government asked without a warrant. The Twitter would, uh, the feds would just send emails to Twitter and say, ban these accounts, uh, XYZ, do this, jump through these hoops, and Twitter would say, how high? And then they would you know jump through the hoops. Uh, and and so it's been example after example after it's been exhaustive in the last few months. I f- I figured the Twitter files was was going to be like you know a few and done, yes. and it just keeps on coming. So I mean I think he's doing the world a real favor of showing exactly how hand in hand, how linked together at the at the hips and the elbows and the and the heads that the federal government and this social media company, and you know it's true in Facebook too, yep. uh, how truly linked they. He has stopped just short of saying, hey, guys, you've been wondering how Twitter was managing to stay afloat while operating at a loss and not making any money. Well, 
Well, Here's uh, they, the government. They did say they were getting payments, like millions of dollars in payments. That was one of them. That was right. one well, of them. Yeah, it's basically exactly what happened to Bitcoin that we just discussed in uh, the the last segment, the segment before last, where essentially people didn't want to. Uh, pony up the money to support a platform that they used and enjoyed, and then uh, turns out the government came in and took it over. It's always the consumer's fault, to Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'm I, just saying, if you don't pay for something, you know you that don't doesn't guarantee it. you anything. You could have paid Twitter five bucks a month; they had a payment system. It could have been a bunch of money rolling to Twitter, and then the government comes in with five million dollars more, and they're like, "Sure, we'll take that too." And or some spoiled white billionaire comes in with forty billion, sell out all of their uh, their users. They have no loyalty to them they're going to do what they're going to do anyway phil what do you think well i mean the the big thing is like i mean it kind of gives credence to you know the whole conspiracy theory how facebook started off as a government operation yeah what is it life lock or whatever and uh it all i mean it, it gives more credence to it uh makes makes me wonder because i used to i don't know i used to laugh that kind of stuff because if you remember when facebook started it used to be just for high school and college kids I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but we grew up. <laughs> now, I mean, seriously. And well, now yeah. high school and college kids won't go anywhere near it. It's it, true. it was for yeah, people who were age 18 to 25, and now those people are age 30 to 40. Yeah, and, and I mean, young people don't use it. They're on the TikTok. I mean, TikTok's probably just, I mean, the algorithm, like all this stuff that all the conservatives talk about. It's it's legitimate. Um, I, I, do, I do enjoy some conservative talk radio, even though it's just not my... It's not my range, but I I like like Matt Walsh or whatever and that stuff. That guy has a um, talk show. But yeah, well, yeah, he has he has a talk show. It's it's uh, an hour a daily hour he has. I think I think he does. Uh, it's a podcast of his videos he puts out on YouTube, I believe. Gotcha. Um, I, I, it's definitely like I just I enjoy some of the stuff he puts out, and uh, but it, it's kind of good getting a wide variety of where everyone's coming from. Yeah, Even that's always it's good to uh, keep your yeah. horizons out there and receive different uh, opinions. Phil, thanks for the call, man. I appreciate you calling in here tonight and sharing that with us. Uh, the Twitter files are continuing. I don't think they've even uh, gotten into the COVID thing. Uh, Musk said they've got Twitter files COVID edition coming in early 2023. I'm not at all surprised to hear that. I yeah. saw an article today. Uh, I don't care about sports, but this one caught my eye for whatever reason. This 24-year-old professional NFL football player that had a heart, heart attack or Cardiac something? arrest. Did he die? In the middle of play. No, he's no. in the he is at the hospital. But like Was he vaccinated? Uh, the article didn't say, but we know he was mm. with all of the restrictions the NFL put on people. He yeah. was absolutely vaccinated. I'm not saying that caused him to go into cardiac arrest, but I'm saying 24-year-old at professional athletes. You don't normally hear about 24-year-olds having cardiac arrest issues. Especially not professional athletes. Yeah. I yeah. I'll give you the 300 pound 24 year old having a cardiac issue sure 300 pounds okay, okay yeah. but the 24 year old professional athlete that's good probably point. not uh mark your thoughts on uh, twitter files anything you want to share on that well um i've you know I, I found elon musk to be very interesting since he's acquired twitter yeah. and um you know again some of these people out there i like because of the people that they uh, piss off as opposed to liking them for who they are. I'm mm-hmm. still waiting to decide whether or not I think that Elon Musk is some kind of savior. Um, but he's not. Uh, he's yeah, got his own. I, problems. I tend to think not. But for what he's doing, I appreciate. I mean, I can see the good that he's doing. 
for sure, at least in this case. I don't know if he's doing good every time he's doing things. Like, you know, Neuralink looks a little suspicious. Uh, he seems to me just like an edgelord. I mean, <laughs> with a lot of money. Yeah. I yeah. mean, everything that I've ever seen from Elon Musk, um, does nothing I've seen conflicts with that mm-hmm. description of him. He's just trying to be as edgy as possible. I appreciate maybe the work some he's of it's sincere, right maybe it isn't, but I, I I don't know that he's got a principled bone in his body. He just what's going to trigger the liptards, right? It, that could be a principle, I guess. And and Musk <laughs> doesn't necessarily come at it from a point of view of I want to trigger the liberals or whatever, but. He he's not far from that. I mean, he spent forty four billion dollars on buying a website that was hemorrhaging <laughs> cash in order to apparently trigger the libtards. So. Okay, fair point. Fair point. <laughs> There's some principle there. Let's go to Crichton on the line in Kentucky. Crichton, you're on Free Talk Live. Hi. Um, I actually wanted to call in tonight uh, because uh, Bonnie mentioned the other day when she was talking about homeschooling, mm-hmm. uh, um, and uh, I. And my wife, mostly my wife, homeschooled five. Okay. And wow. And I, and I can say with certainty that it's a mixed bag. Um, <clears throat> there is, as part of the problem that my wife has been going through lately, is because the three youngest of our children were adopted war- former wards of the state, mm. and in the state of Kentucky, on paper and in the state constitution the right of the parent to educate their children as you see fit is guaranteed. Okay. But in practice, if I could get them to admit in court that that was that homeschooling a former ward of the state is the root of the problem, I would win immediately. The root of what problem? My wife, I told you my wife facing what was facing charges. And now we're still dealing with the, the, uh, the state. Uh, I did not remember that. Yeah, I'm not sure. What were, what were the charges about? I can't tell you what the charges were. Oh, okay. But, but they were BS. Mm. They were nonsense. And if I could get them to admit in court, it's about the fact that the state does not like homeschooling. Mm-hmm. I would win immediately. Mm. But they are not. They're not dumb enough to admit it in court. Sure. And. That is my wife's biggest problem with the idea of moving to New Hampshire is that, yes, all the things that look good, all the all the laws look good. But what is the secret policy of state child protective services? That is the problem. Got to be better than what's going on in Kentucky. You mean what is their policy in regards to homeschoolers? Yeah. What is the the real policy? What really happened? When you go up against the state, when you get sideways with the with state. Uh, well, I think the better question is, will homeschooling your kids be enough to get you sideways with the state? And New Hampshire, that answer seems to be no. I mean, there's a huge homeschooling movement here in New Hampshire that whenever uh, there's any kind of bill in the state house that threatens homeschool rights, if you will, in any way, shape or form, basically the homeschoolers make a field day. Uh, or field trip out of that, and they all come out. They bring all their kids to uh, the state house, and they all pile into whatever the hearing is on this particular bill, and they just overwhelm that particular committee with uh, you know their numbers and their influence, and, that, and it never goes that anywhere. Has happened here for the past twenty years too. Yeah, the, yep. the uh, Homeschool Legal Crichton. Defense Association 
I'm sorry. I, I'm curious, Crichton, what happens if, um, like, you know, so it's wards of the state. I wonder what happens if you just pick up and move from one from the state that they were formerly wards of to another state. Does I would think the new state probably doesn't feel the sort of level of ownership that the previous one did. And that would have been wonderful if I could have done that before this went down. Yeah. And um, one's cur- and then I would be curious what would happen to their case if you just happened to move out of the state. Um, they didn't take the kids away from you, right? Yes, they did. Mm, God. Very sorry so to sorry. hear that. Did they take all so of your sorry. kids or just the former wards? Just the former the, wards? The, the, the natural born kids are all adults. Okay. It was all the former wards. And I'm sure that uh, you love them too. Um, so the uh, what I would say regarding New Hampshire is is that um, New Hampshire has its hands full when it comes to um, uh, homeschoolers, but it's still after anybody who wants to raise their kids um, on their own in a particularly sovereign fashion. So, for instance, Jay, who was a former co-host here on Free Talk Live, is having problems over what appears to be nothing. Um, you know, they just, you know, somebody said that there's kids there running around and, uh, you know, off the cops come to the house. So all these things, these things happen. I think somebody inside uh, of the United States, I mean, I'm not defending, uh, what this person was, uh, alleging or anything like that, but the alleging uh, allegation had to do with something with leaving a kid in a car or whatever. And I think that's, I think they should be allowed to do that or, and I don't know all the details, but that's supposedly what set uh, DCYF on them in the first place. As I said, um, doing things that would have been fine when I was a kid, um, yeah, sure. on, you know, they're, they're always a problem. Yeah. You're going to have these problems in the United States because the United States just is scared to death of raising kids. Well, as I understand it in New Hampshire, and you really ought to talk to some people here who are in the homeschool movement, Crichton, because they would be able to tell you for sure on this. But my understanding is that if the state doesn't know you have kids, then they don't know you have kids and they don't know you're, you know, you're homeschooling or whatever. And so if you've never had them registered in the government schools, then they don't know you have the kids. You see what I'm saying? So like in order to, if you had kids in the government school in New Hampshire, and then you said, we're going to homeschool, then you'd sort of be on the list of people who are homeschooling. But if you just move into New Hampshire and you're homeschooling your kids, then that's it. And That's a really good point, and it wouldn't know. affect your kids at all, you know, going into adulthood or anything like that, because I've never in my life been asked for my GED or my high school diploma or even my college degree. Sure. So that's something uh, to consider. I, there's another topic I was tempted to touch on okay. about Mark commenting that he never got an explanation as to why there is a one megabyte limit on the size of a block. Okay. He never got it from a Bitcoin programmer specifically, I believe, because he was asking someone at a convention. No, no. I I mean, what I considered a cogent argument um, for the small block, and I never really understood it. Yeah, other than well, Satoshi saying, put forward such an argument way back in the day when he introduced it, and the argument was to pre- help prevent 51% attacks. Right, to f- prevent yep. 51% attacks by having more hubs. Um, I thought it was and, to prevent spam on the blockchain. Maybe that was it. Yeah, I don't think it was 51% of taxes. I can answer this question. Go ahead. The answer to the question is, is that the, the market mechanism is designed to go become expensive on purpose to force the development of side chains and parallel uh, payment processing networks. Well, that's certainly a that's, theory. 
that wasn't what well, Satoshi yeah. had seen foreseen, as I understand. That wasn't what Satoshi that. argued either. I, not in his white paper, but I actually spoke to the man on email. Oh, really? On the original Bitcoin Bitcoin instance. Mm-hmm. I know this is part of the point. I, I've talked to these people in the past. Um, and yeah, it's a market mechanism. It is designed to force the development of parallel payment systems. But that wasn't what Satoshi said, was it? That's what they're yes. saying. Yes. Satoshi told you, you this? Yes. Okay. Or whoever had the Satoshi handle in the original Bitcoin.org instance before it was wiped out and replaced. Hmm. This was what was that for? years ago. The original Bitcoin. Oh, BitcoinTalk.org. Okay. That was mm-hmm. the name of it. The original one. Um, it's just a little test. I want to see if you knew the actual name of the forum, and you did. So I'm. Um, yeah, uh, that gives you credibility. Twelve years, thirteen years ago now. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because often, originally my understanding was the uh, Bitcoin had no limit initially when Satoshi yep. first uh, released it. Then Satoshi implemented the uh, the block restriction because of quote unquote spam, uh, and I, I'm not really sure what that meant. I didn't remember the exact reasons. But I believe that the intention was to raise that over time. Now, you're saying, Crichton, that you your understanding from an actual conversation with Satoshi is that he did not intend to raise the block size? It's not that he didn't intend to raise the block size. That he, he wanted a limit, a, a rational limit on the block size to force the, the market to develop these, sides, these uh, alternative payment systems. Can he you provide the, uh, the proof for that? Because that's an interesting claim. Mm-hmm. No, because that that original instance has ceased to exist. Mm. All right. I couldn't prove it. Okay. Crichton, thank you for the call tonight. I appreciate it. Uh, Let's continue here. Joe in Maryland, you're on Free Talk Live. Go ahead, Joe. Hey, how's everybody doing? Hope you're doing well. What's on your mind tonight? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, The guy you were trying to think of earlier was Paul LaBelle, the uh, criminal who got caught in Brazil. Oh, the uh, the supposed uh, alleged Satoshi possible Yachimura. Satoshi. What was his name? Paul what? Paul LaBelle. LaBelle. Okay. I think yeah, I think that's real... the guy. Yeah, it is the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was a real strange dude because I saw a documentary on him and stuff like that. He's got the only code that, other than Toshi's that's never been cracked. He still haven't cracked his computer. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know a whole lot about him. I remember reading something about the allegations behind why he could be Satoshi, and I remember it being pretty persuasive. I just don't remember any of the details. It was, uh, certainly wasn't. I, yeah, I think a, I was on the he's same. He's a brilliant mathematician. Mm. Yeah. I wasn't persuaded to the point where I'm like, yes, this guy is Satoshi. I'm like, huh? If I had to place a bet on someone being Satoshi, that's who I would place my bet on. Well, one thing's for sure. If Satoshi yep. is not dead, and there's a good chance that he or she has passed away at this point, but if Satoshi is not dead, they would be a fool to reveal themselves at some point in the future because all of the weight They'd of the government. Yeah, I mean, all of the weight yeah. of the state, the governments of the world that hate Bitcoin would come right down on that person's head. Exactly. Well, that's was sort of proved with uh, Craig Wright. I mean, once that once he said I'm Satoshi, then the Australian government just went after him and went after him and went after him. Yeah, they did. Well, isn't Craig Wright Australian though and a liar? Well, yeah, but they still went after him. For what? Because he said he was Satoshi. Satoshi. So I mean, they, they were like, oh, it's him. For what did they go after him for? I mean, did they. Taxes. Taxes. Yeah. Immediately, they went after well, him. Well, that's, 
that's Craig Wright's fault for being an idiot, I, I would suggest. <laughs> right. And, you know, if, if Satoshi Nakamoto revealed himself and, you know, the, the Australian government or whatever government said, all right, fine, but you owe us 35% in taxes, fine, if you'll accept it in Bitcoin. <laughs> All I'm saying is is that if you claim to be Satoshi Nakamoto, reveal yourself uh, to be Satoshi Nakamoto, allow yourself to be re- revealed as Satoshi Nakamoto, spect problems. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Joe, anything else you want to share? Uh, yeah. Also, you were talking about the uh, Byzantine generals and the lieutenants. Everybody had to uh, you know, be in coordination with each other and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, in World War II, in France when they had the Maginot Line. Hitler could have been stopped. This one general, I can't remember their names, but this one general uh, asked for reinforcements when Hitler was invading. And he had 140,000 troops that he could have uh, reinforced the other general with and, you know, uh, stop, you know, hold off Hitler and stuff, stop him even. And because he didn't like him, he didn't send the troops to help him. He didn't like the other general, you're saying? Yep. Mm. That's a historical fact and everything like that. I kind of thought that was, I thought that guy should have been shot for treason. It all comes down to someone being petty, doesn't it? Thank you. Was he French or Belgian? French. Okay. But I thought thought the Nazis went around the Maginot Line uh, through Belgium um, in order to take. They they went through Belgium, but they still faced the Maginot Line. They had to get. they had to break through the line before they hit the river, or it would have ended up in trench warfare again, like World War One. Okay. Thank oh, you, Joe, oh. for the call tonight. Very interesting. Definitely appreciate it. The number here is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. Speaking of warfare, uh, Zelensky and Ukraine are in the news again. And this is a bit of a follow-up on a story that we did earlier. I think it was this year. I think it was RT that had an in-depth report on this as something that was likely going to transpire. And now even the mainstream media in the form of the New York Times is picking up the story where uh, Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine has now signed off on legislation that is significantly expanding the government's regulatory power over the news media. You know, that whole pro-democracy, pro-freedom, everybody loves freedom in Ukraine, that government that we're all supposed to buy into is this freedom-loving thing. Isn't it amazing how people just automatically side with the Ukrainian government just because they're not Russia, knowing absolutely nothing about them, no matter what facts you reveal about the Ukrainian government, like the fact that they have an entire battalion of Nazis and they, you know, unleash child rapists into their military in order to get them out of prison. And then you have this on top of it. Zelensky, this is not the first time he's done something that was just horrifically anti-freedom. He he dissolved the opposition party. He did. So his, his own political party, like it would be like uh, Joe Biden saying the Democrat, I mean, the Republicans, you can no longer exist and having the FBI <laughs> right. or whoever go out there and kick in Capture the door. Them. Yeah. Say, oh, no, there are no more Republicans. Everyone's a Democrat now. Zelensky did this in Ukraine. Yeah. And now, according to the New York Times reporting on this, the media regulation bill expands the authority of Ukraine's state broadcasting regulator. They call them. So this is their equivalent of the FCC. OK, but they call it over there. The National Council of Television and Radio Broadcasting 
to cover online and print news media. It gives the regulator the power to find media outlets, revoke licenses, and temporarily block certain online media outlets without a court order, and <laughs> okay. request that social media platforms and search giants like Google remove content that violates the law, according to the Ukrainian news media. So imagine if the FCC had jurisdiction over your websites, over your favorite websites. And they didn't have to go through the courts anymore on top of that. Well, the Isn't FCC that can't go here? through the courts anyway, but uh, but yeah, what they're saying here is they could go through the court, uh, or rather avoid going through the courts, to block certain online media outlets. Right, so just with so. the flick of a pen, yep. Zelensky can say, no more RT, no more free talk live. Total power over internet information. And this is supposed to be a government worth supporting? A government that cares about freedom? It's ridiculous. And it's, I mean, even the New York Times can't avoid reporting on this now. There's more coming up here in moments. Hour three's on the way on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live. It is Free Talk Live, and the phones are open here. If you want to join the show, the number is 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. It's Ian, Aria, and Mark joining you tonight. Of course, you can bring up whatever's on your mind. We were just getting into a news story that we actually first reported on months ago. When RT had the, what it was apparently the exclusive on this, uh, RT, for those that don't know, stands for Russia Today, so you know where they're coming at from a uh, editorial perspective. Well, they were lying. Clearly, they were lying. No, no, they were telling the, the truth. But that, they, that can't be. They, they do it a lot. Like, from what I can tell, RT is one of the more journalistic. I mean, we were, Mark was, uh, I think, rightfully complaining about the state of journalism these days. It's, it's pretty bad. Like, you, you pretty much, you tune into a quote-unquote news channel and you know you're going to get an opinion piece yep. uh, these days. And certainly when you tune into RT, you know you're going to get the Russian perspective generally on things. But to be fair to them... At least they do cover both sides of the issue in their reporting and, from what I've seen. And that may not be entirely true all the time. Like um, Adam not. Kokesh used to have a show on RT and he was never told by his own admission or his own reporting. He was never told what to say or what not to say That's or what he fact. could and could not talk about. Holland Cook also had a show on RT America just before they shut down operations because they couldn't pay their bills due to the sanctions anymore. But he give pro- us a show. But he's pro Ukraine. And they you know they had he was on the air yeah. on RT. Oh that's so, right. He leans left, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Uh, and they never told him what to say. The only reason he can't keep doing his show is because they shut the whole channel down. And that had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with the sanctions on the Russian government. They literally could not send the money to their American bank that was operating RT America. So that's why they, they had well, to shut that Well, thank God operation. the Cold War ended in the 80s and it did not persist into 2023. So what we're talking about here tonight is the uh, what they call the National Council of Television and Radio Broadcasting is now... There's a bill that has now been signed by Vladimir Zelensky that is going to increase their power, not just over broadcasting, but over the Internet, any print media as well. So any newspapers that are left in Ukraine, they're now going to be regulated by this 
the equivalent of their FCC. Any internet sites that are based out of Ukraine are going to have to get a license from the government in order to exist, in order to not have armed thugs kick in their door and throw them into a prison cell. Can you imagine having to petition the government for a license in order for you out there listening to have a blog? That's what we're talking about. And if you don't... Vladimir Zelensky is going to send in the jackbooted thugs to drag you out of the house. Well, how, in all how, likelihood, he they won't bother people that they di- that that are innocuous, but they will use this to go after people who have opinions that they don't like. Well, good point. Yeah, they. But then again, the people that love his government would happily line up for a license, most assuredly. But I get it's got to be kind of hard to get a license right now with uh, some level of war going on in Ukraine. But how do you know what level of war? I mean, that's the other thing. We have no idea what's actually going on over there. I mean, well, this... I can tell you that, uh, you know, I up heretofore I have chosen to listen to mainstream media as to, um, you know, what wars are happening and where they are. And well, what's that's a mistake. I mean, they, yeah. they absolutely have an incentive to blow up this conflict and make it seem uh, larger than life. But the reality I is, I would agree with that, Ian. But um, which wars would you say here um, up to this point are fake? I'm not saying it's fake. I'm just saying we don't know the extent of it. I do know that this Zelensky character has been parading all over the place, including just showing up, I believe, in Washington, D.C. recently. Uh, They've had uh, stars like Bono or whoever going over to uh, Sean Penn, uh, going over to Ukraine, entering into a supposed war zone so they can have photo ops done with Zelensky. I mean, you tell me that that's the most dangerous place to be in the world. I don't I just don't buy it. I know people who've traveled there, so it can't be terribly dangerous. Right. That's what I'm saying. I think this thing is way blown out of proportion to compared to what's actually going on. And then they get this Zelensky guy in D.C. and they're unfurling the Ukrainian flag in Congress now, apparently, and rallying around the Ukrainian flag. Meanwhile, Zelensky. I wonder when the last time a foreign nation's flag was flown in the U.S. Capitol. I don't know. It's a good question. It's probably I mean, never happened, not since, you know, the War of 1812, presumably, when the Canadians burned down the White House. Mm. Uh, they had a little British help. According to Zero Hedge on an article about the same subject, actually it came from the Libertarian Institute. They re- republished it over at Zero Hedge. In, Z- in March, Zelensky issued a presidential decree which nationalized Ukraine's broadcast media. Remember that one? We talked about it here. Uh, on Free Talk Live. Yes, that was when the state took control of the broadcast media Correct. in the first place. Yeah, and When he, they went socialist. The kind of stuff that you would see in Venezuela. Yeah. Right, where they come in, they say, oh, oh, you have yourself a radio station here. Well, it's ours now. Yeah. We have ourselves a nice yeah. radio station here. Yeah. Uh, thanks for doing all the work setting this up. We'll, we'll take that. We'll run it into the ground for you. Uh, around the same time, he also banned a long list of opposition political parties, which you referenced earlier, Aria, with alleged links to Russia, and has since taken punitive action against Orthodox churches, also said to have ties with Moscow, especially quashing, or effectively rather, quashing all dissent under martial law powers. While his power grabs throughout the 11-month conflict have largely gone... Who's this from? Uh, this is the Libertarian Institute. Okay. I, I, I figured we must have switched off of the New York Times at this point, but I wanted to be sure. Indeed. 
according to the story here, while his power grabs have largely gone unnoticed in the American mainstream press, which has de- devoted ample coverage to similar wartime repression in Russia, the New York Times highlighted calls from human rights groups to rescind this law over fears that it will crush the free press. Ricardo Guterres, the energy or the uh, general general secretary for the European Federation of Journalists, said this quote. Ukraine will demonstrate its European commitment by promoting a free and independent media, not by establishing state control of information, he said. And uh, the Committee to Protect Journalists and other civil rights organizations also slammed the legislation while it was being debated by lawmakers in December. While their legislature agreed to strip away some of the more extreme measures, the final draft still hands the federal government near total control over Ukraine's news media. So there's your freedom-loving Ukraine story. They're going to have given out licenses now for anybody that has a website and anybody that has print publications. Surely we have callers out there who are pro-Ukraine in this silly little conflict. Can you please call in and explain to me what about the Ukrainian government you think is worth supporting? Great point. Well, this is obviously, um, you know, what they're going to say this is this is obviously Russian propaganda, and this is um, the New York Times. Well, let's hear what they have again, to say. Falling for it, and that this is the um, New York you know, Times reporting on this. This was I thought you said it was the Libertarian Institute. No, that was the second part of the story. Then when we before we went to the break or whatever it was, uh, I was telling you that this was being reported by the New York Times. I have it right here. Zelensky signs controversial news media regulation, giving the government yep. regulatory power over these things. They've got the story here. I know, and the, all the all the people are going to say is is that that this stands out as uh, you know this a you know it doesn't look good. I admit, but this is wartime, and you know sometimes <laughs> during wartime you got to do these things. I mean, look at old Abe Lincoln. He had to do that kind of thing too. <laughs> uh, no, these people would never re- admit that. Now, these people allege that Abraham Lincoln was the greatest president in American history. They they would never say something like well, that. Well, that's the thing. Just not going to answer the question. But you know, you know, I've I've got tattoos of symbols and stuff on me. There's you know, there's symbols on my car that mean various things, and I have those for a reason. I support those symbols and what they stand for. These people with you, the Ukrainian flag hanging out hanging outside their house or on their even their facebook profile what is it about this institution that is the ukrainian government that you feel is important enough to stand behind i mean i'll give you a little bit more here from the new york times this is from the times they're again they're interviewing ricardo guterres from the european federation federation of journalists he called the bill's regulation coercive and worthy of the worst authoritarian regimes The National Union of Journalists of Ukraine issued a statement before the vote that uh, the bill would help erode the freedoms that, quote, distinguish the social system of Ukraine from the regime of dictatorial Russia. They're saying, look, we had some level of press freedom here, and now you guys are getting rid of that. In fact, I pulled up the index of uh, Reporters Without Borders. They do the index of uh, press freedom, which we actually haven't talked about in some time. Normally, we talk about the index of economic freedom and such. Uh, here on Free Talk Live. This is an also an, a very interesting index as well. The United States, by the way, at number 42 on the list of most press freedom on the planet. What causes America to lose points? I, I guess the conglomerate. I mean, look at what the they're media? doing. Look at what they're doing to Julian Assange, for instance. Okay, yeah. Right? Good uh, points. You, you, it's not freedom of speech in the United States. Not freedom to, uh, to report. But uh, number, let's see, Ukraine. Pulling up here on the map. 
They've got a text list as well. But uh, Ukraine, and that would be before this before, particular act correct. has gone into effect. Yeah, because they always look at like the previous year or whatever. So for the 2022 Reporters Without Borders study, it'll probably be looking at 2020, 2021, somewhere in that okay. range. Um, so right now, before this new law goes into effect, Ukraine is number 106 of all of the 180 countries. So it's not in the not even in the top hundred most free. Russia at Are number one. Russia. Russia's yeah. at number 155, so even less free than yeah. Ukraine. Are there any countries around Ukraine's ranking that I would recognize one way or the other? Uh, well, there's right next door uh, Belarus not doing so hot at 153. I mean, someone about whose government I may know a little bit. How about Honduras? Okay. I don't uh, know much about the Honduran government, but I, uh, I, th- I seem to think someone on the show does. Yeah, Mark, uh, guess where Honduras is if you haven't already pulled up the list. I haven't pulled up the list. You want to take a guess? Um, I, I can't imagine it's terribly high. I mean, there are communists in charge. <laughs> After uh, Remember, there's 180 potential uh, spots on this list. Um, I don't know. Above 100, below 50. Uh, well, above 100, I guess. Okay, I see what you mean. No, I it's, don't know it's, what he means. What the hell does he, he mean? He means le- lower than 100, meaning higher ranked, quote From unquote. From 50 to 100. Yeah, no, it's 165. Okay. Yeah, one of the worst countries on the planet, only beaten out by countries like Iraq, Cuba, Vietnam, Turkmenistan, Iran, uh, Eritrea. That's really bad. Yeah, it's uh, Honduras is actually the worst, excluding Cuba. Honduras is the worst as far as press freedom in the entirety of North and South and Central America. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. And then I, you know, I wouldn't recommend to anyone who moves to a foreign country for more freedom than they get in the United States, simply because the uh, the reach of government in most countries isn't that of the U.S. government. I wouldn't recommend um, goading the tiger, as it were. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't say anything about that country in the same way that you know, like I wouldn't go to Thailand and say the king is a bad man. You know, yeah, you'll I, be you'll be put to death. That's why I would not yeah, go to Thailand. You do that. Well, uh, it, you know, um, <laughs> it, the United States doesn't feel feel terribly free when they want to come after um, controversial radio. Oh, shows. it's they not. It's number forty two radio programs. Well, that's yeah, the number forty two on press freedom. But I can assure you, that the press freedom people didn't come and ask us about why we think the United States government came after Free Talk Live. So they didn't need to. They already know bailing. that the U.S. sucks at uh, at press freedoms. I mean, it's it's not even in the top you know twenty here, uh, according to it's this. It's barely in the top fifty. Yeah, it's yeah, it's barely, bad. just barely. Let's go to the phones and it here. Shouldn't be. <laughs> we got a caller on the line here. You're on the air. What's your name? This is Hatting in Florida. Hey, what's on your mind? Go on. What's on your mind? Well, if you want to understand why, uh why people are supporting some people are supporting the the war in ukraine against russia uh i i would uh, ask you to look at the overall pattern of u.s wars all right uh we had this uh war against iraq all right and uh we had a series of wars against uh muslim states uh you know libya and then they were going to do syria some of the others along the way I could explain, but it's more complicated. These are all Zionist wars. These are all wars against enemies of the state of Israel. Okay. And uh, what happened with Russia is in 2013, Vladimir Putin 
put himself in the way and uh, made some statements that discouraged the Europe, uh, NATO from going to war against Syria and destroying that country, doing what they had done in Libya. And at that point, Russia became a target. A lot of things happened in short order after that. All right, There were attempts to pry Russia's allies away from her, like the deal with Iran, the nuclear deal, and uh, diplomatic recognition for Cuba, and uh, the XL pipeline was uh, expedited to try to uh, undermine uh, Russia's fuel exports to Europe. Correct me if I'm wrong, right. though. American antagonism towards Russia dates well before 2013, right? Uh, not on that level. All right. There were a series of actions. Seems like it was a lot higher before quarter. 2013. I mean, it I seems mean, like the United States war. was in a cold war with decade, for decades with Russia um, or its predecessor, the Soviet Union. I'm just curious how Different the Jews matter. got Russia to invade Ukraine. The situation there is, as you know, the, the elected government of Ukraine was overthrown in 2014 mm -hmm. after uh, the president Yanukovych uh, turned down an offer that you can't refuse, which was to join NATO. All right? He decided not to do it, and then he got overthrown. And uh, Victoria Newland, a Jewish neoconservative, was right in the middle of all that, all right? And uh, so a government of the Ukraine that was actually rather ambivalent about Russia, but went along with them for practical reasons, was replaced by an actively anti-Russian government. Mm. All right. And the goal of this, of overturning the, pro the somewhat friendly to Russia government, was to deprive Russia of access to the Black Sea, a warm water port, deprive them of that so that the Russian naval base in Syria would become meaningless, basically getting the Russians out of that region. That was the point of the war, all right? And on top of that, you had the threat of putting missiles into Ukraine that could reach Moscow in five minutes. This was a dire threat, a dire military threat to Russia. And I don't know why um, other countries have Russia's that I mean missiles that could hit Russia from thousands upon thousands of miles away. Why yeah, is it, it particularly dangerous for? for you, you, it takes a lot longer for them to reach, and it's a lot harder to defend. Again, are you familiar with uh, nuclear submarines close. and Triton um, nuclear warheads? Okay, the, what was what the USA was trying to do with Ukraine there was very similar to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, Kennedy found. The presence of missiles in Cuba intolerable, all right, because they would reach the reach cities in the United States so fast, right? It was the same situation. This is why you become friends with your neighbors instead of invading them and taking their guns well, away. That's that's right, and that's why uh, weaker countries uh, sometimes have to accommodate the 800-pound gorilla, which happens to be Russia. You have to get along with the big guy in your neighborhood. And if you antagonize him too much, you're going to have a problem, right? That's just reality, whether you like it or not, right? And that's what's going on. And fundamentally, this is all about Israeli interests. I mean, maybe, but I think you misapplied what I was saying. Uh, I don't think the United States should have been upset about Russia having missiles in Cuba. The United States should have been like, hey, Cuba, it's okay. We want to have free cooperative trade with you. We want to be friends. 
And also, then, aren't, then the Nazis, aren't the Nazis running things in Ukraine? How is that uh, no, helpful to No, they're not. Nope, nope, no. Uh, there's a lot of propaganda about this. I actually know a woman in Ukraine, and uh, you, she's the kind of person you would call her a Nazi, I think. Okay. And she's completely deluded about what's going on. Uh, she thinks that Putin is a Jew. Uh, so this uh, this Ukrainian uh, Nazi that's telling you what's happening in Ukraine is deluded? Is your the, the argument? The people in Ukraine are very misled uh, mm-hmm. by what about what's going on. At least they were. Uh, and they How do you know this? Somehow from, I told you, I know a woman over there. Okay, but she's deluded. Nazis in Ukraine. But you said she's deluded. And yeah. she's a Nazi in Ukraine, as Mark points out. I, I, she would not, I could not reason with her about anything. I point out that, well, you know, Zelensky is a Jew, and she just, didn't, she just kind of blew it off. Uh, is Zelensky a Jew? Um, you see, I, I don't spend any time, yeah. terribly sorry, I don't spend any time trying to figure out who's a Jew and who's well, not a Jew not a and it's what the well Jews known. want on a national level. Supposedly he is Jewish and his name allegedly translates to like the evil one or something like that. Is it Bonnie <laughs> well, Jewish or so something? He's not only Jewish, he's a Zionist Jew, he's been to the state of Israel, he's anti-Palestinian, all this stuff. I mean, there is no right. doubt that the uh, Israeli government has an incredibly large influence over other governments of the world for whatever stupid religious uh, reason that it does. So I don't, I don't just, dis- well, it might uh, just because they got trapped their politicians well, let, 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 into, uh, trysts with 13 year olds. I suspect it has a lot more to do with the fact that to, you know, a third of the world's religious people, the Jews are the God's chosen people and that they worship that God. What's going on here is we've got these people who are very influential in the U S political establishment called neoconservatives. And I pointed out Victoria Newland was right in the middle of all this stuff where uh, the Ukrainian government was overthrown and trying to get NATO in there. All right. These people are extremely influential mm-hmm. in our political establishment. They have their collaborators in the U.S. media, like the New York Times. Why do you think that the false propaganda about Iraq was allowed to go on and on and on without any mass media saying that's not true? It's because... They're I'm just wondering, like, I've got an English last name. I mean, can are there conspiracy theorists out there that just find people with English last names, wrap them all together in their conspiracy, and then trot out some racist crap? Well, I don't hear any uh, racist. Yeah, the LaRouche people Well, okay, it's really close to that. He, he's throwing saying, out a lot of dog whistles. I, don't, I didn't hear anything yeah. about racism I, I here. I he I said I the Jews over and over again. He's talking about Israel, which is not the same thing as the well, Jews. That's a government. I'm being more specific than that, but uh, it happened. Yeah, I recognize the voice. This is the guy who says that true statement is racist. I recognize Aha! He's a Cantwell listener. That's right. <laughs> so? There you go. So what? <laughs> That's all I need. <laughs> I listened to Cantwell's uh, show last week, or at least a good, yeah, a good chunk of it. I understand you have a favorite Nazi. <laughs> but, you know, this is another thing. The people, way people use that word Nazi. I, I, there you Cantwell go. Says he, <laughs> he, <laughs> Mark called it. I, I got to say, him. This Mark, guy, you did this call guy it. plays dog whistles like a pan flute. <laughs> well, look, I don't, I don't know what you're saying here, Mark, because this guy's talking I'm about saying the... he's a bigot, and he'll say he'll use the term Zionist. To are, are you anti-Jewish, sir? Look, I'm, I'm talking about particular Jews. So particular Jews, exactly. And I, I get that. And then the people that are in the, the government over in Israel, these are bad people. But that's government people. Well, right. This, this guy. The Israeli, the Israeli government 
is backed by some of the most powerful governments on the planet, and they are destroying the lives of these Palestinian people constantly. I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's not anti-Jewish. That's anti-government. That's a fact. Thanks for the call. More coming up here. It's Free Talk Live. And the phones are open here. You can join the show at 603-283-6160. That's 603-283-6160. We are doing things a little bit differently uh, starting this year, starting a couple days ago. You may have noticed fewer commercials, fewer commercial breaks. I'm enjoying this. Yeah, it flows so much better, and the show goes by so much more organically and so much faster. I mean, Yeah, we can get deeper into conversations without interruption, which it's, is awesome. You and I, you know, we, we very easily do shows without any show pro, but this is two nights in a row where we did some without hardly ever even touching it. And that's... That's it's a nice thing. New. It's a nice thing. I've been enjoying this a lot. Mark, uh, it's your first uh, new show in the new year. What are you thinking about this this new format? You know, um, it's pretty seamless because, to be honest, until you mentioned it just now, didn't I didn't notice. realize what was going on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've noticed, like, as we're in the middle and of the I segment. And I am uh, generally the, the, the naysayer, the one that says that everything sucks, um, that you got to do it the old way. And um, I'm really hoping that this, uh, th- that this format is, is better. Well, the only, the only thing, the only problem I think is that it should have done, we should have done it 10 years ago. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. I didn't think about it until uh, September. And... No, you, t- you talked about it previously, doing it. Oh, okay. um, you know, there were, uh, there were things that stood in the way. Yeah. Well, now we just said, you know what? This has to happen. It's it's critical. We got to do this, and we have. So we're going to go back to your phone calls and thoughts. Phones are open at 603-283-6160. Let's go to Bob. He's listening in West Virginia on the radio to WVTS in Charleston. Go ahead, Bob. Well, people don't understand something about the Ukraine conflict here. They think that this wild man Putin just out of the clear blue sky decided to go in and wreak mayhem on his neighbors Mm -mm. uh not true putin invaded the ukraine after the u.s rejected his demand for a guarantee that the ukraine not join nato you see uh ukrainian diplomats they were doing just fine ukrainian diplomats had negotiated uh, a deal with the eu and then russia trumped the ukraine uh the eu by you know, they outbid the EU with their own deal. They made a deal, you know. They, my uh, question, they, they gave, sorry, I'm my sorry. question would be why, can't, if the U, if Ukraine wants to join NATO, shouldn't they have that right as a sovereign no, nation? No, NATO agreed to not expand well, toward Russia. Uh, let, me, let me answer that. Uh, you see, NATO is comprised of a, uh, a plurality of U.S. troops. Now, the... the The invitation was to both Georgia and the Ukraine to join NATO. Had they joined NATO, all of a sudden, you'll have U.S. troops on thousands of miles of your border. That is the same thing as putting rockets in Cuba. Well, plus, Bob, don't forget uh, that what happened at the end of the Soviet Union, as I understand it, was there was an agreement that NATO would not expand, that it was no no longer needed to uh, to to grow because the Soviet Union was going down. And NATO said, this is it. We're you know, we're not going to expand. And they broke their promise and have continually expanded. 
well, let's not forget that Estonia that. and aren't Estonia and Latvia NATO members? Well, that's that's another question. I'm talking about what's between Russia and the Ukraine. And but very likely, Finland will become border. a NATO member as a result of this invasion into um, Ukraine, right? So, like, um, Putin is Gambit is going to backfire, and he's going to, in fact, have these missiles and troops for good reason because he's a madman um, all, all along well, his border. But you understand why he's upset. He had a deal with the Ukrainian president Viktor Yanukovych, signed, and he signed it. But then the U.S. steps in and puts $5 billion to influence Ukraine's politics, pays for all of these, uh, these protests across the country. People are shot dead. And uh, so Yanukovych flees the country. That's one of the that cheapest was, uh, revolutions in history. Well, it's up to $110 billion now well, just the last year. That Ukrainians make less money per capita, per person, excuse me. Still $5 billion to overthrow a government? I'm sorry. Still only five billion to overthrow a government? That's that's a bargain. Yeah, like I said, I, I predicated that with the notion that the people there are basically a third world country when the individuals each individual makes less than your average Cuban, Jamaican, or Namibian. Mm. Uh, these are third this that's third world wages. Interesting you yeah, mentioned Namibia. It happens to be number eighteen on the reporters. Uh, without borders, press freedom index. So this country in South Africa, which is like basically a desert, is more has more press freedoms than, than even the United States does. Uh, you know now, of course, five billion is like chump change. Ukraine's gotten a hundred and ten billion dollars from the United States taxpayers in just the last year. How about that? War sure does pay off, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Look, uh, I think I, I get what you're saying here, Bob. They, the NATO people broke their promise to uh, to Russia. They said they weren't going to expand, and they've continuously expanded. So, yeah, I mean, you can't really blame well, Putin for NATO's whole for what purpose he did. is to take no. down Russia. But that doesn't mean we have to say that Putin's a nice guy. He's a lot of oligarchs have flipped on banana peels and fallen to their death out of high rise. Oh yeah, so, Putin's a, uh, he, he's a thug, of course, but so is Joe Biden. Of course he is. So is Joe Biden. Yeah, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I yeah. think that's a pretty good assessment of who we're dealing with. Yes, sir. Uh, but you understand, he is he's strictly uh, dealing with the security of his own regime when he absolutely keeps NATO troops off of his border, which are largely comprised of U.S. troops. And even the generals involved are, on many occasions, U.S. generals. Thank you, Bob, so for uh, for calling and sharing those thoughts tonight. I definitely appreciate it. And I can't uh, really say that, you know, Russia should just extend the olive branch to NATO and the United States. Well, hey, look, we want to be your friends. You know, we don't care that you have missiles and soldiers here because we want to be your friends and engage in this open trade with you because Russia did that. I remember uh, Putin Throughout his entire presidency during the George W. Bush era, he routinely referred to George W. Bush as his partner and his, the United States were his mm. partners, his friends. And the United States never returned that level of the companionship mm-hmm. to Russia. Russia was always a lesser country and it will always be a lesser country in the eyes of America. It's never an equal, never a trading partner. Well, it was a trading I think, partner. I think Russia should have been allowed membership into NATO and that this would have 
uh, you know, solve the whole problem. NATO's not going anywhere. In fact, NATO's a pretty good idea because it allows Europe to keep their military spending down. Um, and, you know, I look, I, as a libertarian, I don't like war or, uh, warlike organizations, but I can, I can look at the world in a reasonable fashion. And it seems to me that Russia is a power on the wane, but that's not to say it's not a power. And the best use of NATO would be to combine with Russia. That way you're not worried about it anymore. That way the, uh, the, the eye of NATO can focus towards China, who they can then keep in line a lot easier, more easily. Let's go to Major Payne on the line in Michigan. Go ahead, Major. Yeah, I got a couple of news blips I thought were kind of intriguing, and then I got a quote from Frank Zappa that kind right. of ties into what you're talking about here. Um, the news blips are that, uh, remember that four college or three co-eds and one dude were murdered out, knifed to death a while back out in Idaho. Yeah, yeah, we haven't covered that story, uh, but interestingly, they're calling the, the alleged murderer a quote-unquote libertarian in the news. That's well, part of that story. evidently a Ph.D. student just across the border in the next state in criminology. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, he was trying to, I, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but it makes me think of why the normal mind cannot perceive of the thoughts of the criminal because we just can't put ourselves in them damn shoes. I'm not surprised. But, uh, I mean, it's inevitable that the, you're going to get a a trans serial killer at one point. You're going to get a libertarian serial killer at one point. You're going to get a gay serial killer. Well, you've had a few of those. But yeah, it's just basic statistics. If you're a serial killer, then by definition, you're not a libertarian, right? Well, <laughs> you're, you're not a principled you're libertarian. You're a crazy person. Yeah. All right, so the other the other one was old Bankman Fried is yeah. looking at a hundred years. Yeah, he's uh, pleading not guilty in that case, at least at this point. Maybe waiting for a, a plea deal. Hundred so. years? That's that's nothing. Chump change, yeah, right? You were facing four hundred twenty. I think I was by the end of the indictment. I think I had two hundred and something. Yeah, some. All right, so the, uh, the I got here a book of Webster's Dictionary of Quotations. Mm-hmm. And there's only one entrance from Frank Zappa. It's under the uh, the uh, headline of beliefs. And it says, the fact of the matter is there is no hip world. There is no straight world. There is a world, you see, which people, which has people in it who believe in a variety of different things. Mm-hmm. Everybody believes in something. Everybody, by virtue of the fact that they believe in something, uses that something to support their own existence yeah thanks Sounds, major yep. appreciate the call tonight the numbers... i was worried it was going to be like a frank brown goes to town so I, I don't remember the name of the song but uh frank zappa has got a somebody brown goes to town it, it's not what you would expect yeah I, you know what i don't know enough about frank zappa i know that he was supposedly a libertarian though was he yeah he wrote some interesting music Oh, you'll take him, but not the Idaho uh, serial killer. I got you. Was Frank Zappa a serial killer? (laughs) No. Okay, then that's why. He also said, has he understands it? The definition of a libertarian is someone who uh, doesn't agree with the use of force, the use of uh, offensive or aggressive force, and a serial killer would be someone who's using that. So obviously not a libertarian. Yep. And I don't know if he was a serial killer. What is the word for that? That's the alleged serial killer. Well, he wasn't a serial killer because he only committed one act. It was just there were multiple victims in that in one that act. In that one act? Ooh, he's yeah. He's a mass shooter. No, yeah, I don't know if he was a, a mass shooter. mass killer, I think. Mass is the stabber. Word. Yeah, I think he sta- allegedly was uh, the, a stabber, yeah, in that case. Either way, 
not a libertarian. No, pretty ugly though. Uh, in that, in that, I don't know all the details in that case, but I don't either. I saw it and I was like, okay, that's yeah. that's awful, but it's not like show prep, so I didn't. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt it. about it. Uh, you know what, Mark? I didn't even get a chance to ask you before the show. Was there something you wanted to talk about tonight? I have a list of show prep, but it's not uh, on the top of my screen now with the <laughs> with a quarter with the uh, you know fifteen minutes left in the show. Indeed, uh, the number here is six zero three two eight three sixty one sixty. Americans are apparently largely pessimistic about the prospects for the United States in twenty twenty three. Are Americans becoming realistic? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. No. I, I disagree with this assertion. So um, in order to be number one, you simply have to be faster than number two. And I got to find out who number two is at this point, because it should be apparent, right? Like if you're losing a race, you should be able to turn around and what, look. What and are you see saying? Hold on. What are you saying the United States is number one in? Um, well, it's certainly the world's largest Prison economy. Inmates. That's that too. <laughs> Unless you consider um, everybody in North Korea to actually be in a prison, I would not. Okay. I mean, there's a strong argument that North Korea is essentially a prison colony. <laughs> you can't get out. Like, there's literally barbed wire. I, keeping I can't you get in. out of the United States either. Well, that's true. Sure, you can. Well, you no, can. she cannot. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's all a matter of perspective. I, I would argue, but there are. Literally people in American, millions of people in American prisons for victimless crimes. And the United States has the largest prison population in the world. Do you think that a nation is um, necessarily doomed to uh, because of a large prison population? Because I don't. Probably. I'm not saying it's good. I don't. I think that probably does speak to some sort of institutional overgrowth and spiritual rot within that nation. I think what it speaks to is just more make work programs and a particularly um, harsh pioneer spirit. Slavery suggests a dying empire to me. No, slavery is uh, all over the world and all the empires that rose and all the empires that fell um, had slavery heretofore. Slavery was commonplace and not even argued with up until um, basically the beginning of the 19th century. Then, uh, you know, people's morals kicked in and they they stopped. Slavery persists today. They just called it something else. As you said, now it's taxes. These make work programs. I mean, it's widespread slavery. Well, uh, no. Um, so from a, I, he, Ian just called slavery taxes. I would disagree with that notion. Um, however, well, what percentage of your wealth has to be taken from you for the benefit of someone else before it counts as slavery? It, it can be any percentage as long as you agree to it. But you, as long as you agree to it, you agree to be to the taxes of the United States by remaining it's in the same way statement. that you agree to a, pay your bill when you go that into a, a restaurant. That is a ridiculous take. Yeah. No, it's not. I, I it's can choose to go clear. to a different restaurant. I never in my life. Indeed, was you can go to a different country. No, well, not she you. can't. And, and, I, I, and I got I, it. And I look, before Aria the, on, is no, under look. bail conditions. I, and I'm even sorry. before the bail conditions, okay. the average person cannot just go. Oh, I'm done with the United States. I'm gonna pack up and carry on my life <laughs> in the Honduras. That that's so beyond the. And I realize that you've been you know, millionaire mark for so Americans. long. You don't understand this anymore. But this is well beyond the means of your average fast food worker. Well, I I don't think the fa- the average fast food worker is the average American. Um, I, think I think you would find they are. Things. I don't. I, well, I would disagree. What do you and think I the average American makes? 
Um, I don't have that in front of me, but I would say that uh, median incomes in the United States is somewhere around 70000 for a Good household. Good Lord, that's way off. It's going to be closer to 30000 man. He said for a household. Um, okay. That may be true for a household. I don't know. But still. Median household income, um, for whatever reason, it wants to go with New Hampshire here. Um, in New Hampshire, median household income is 83000 Regardless, Mark, it is well beyond the capabilities of the average person to just move to a different country. Most people live paycheck to paycheck, and we've we've seen the numbers on this recently. It's like 60-something percent of Americans are one paycheck away from losing everything. Um, Just about anybody can get a passport, and they can go work paycheck to paycheck someplace else if that's what they want. How are they going to afford that? You know what a plane ticket costs, right? Um, How much is a a passport? It's about $150. Right. Okay. One hundred fifty dollars that they don't have because they're already living paycheck to paycheck. There are people who cannot afford. Half of Americans can't afford that hundred fifty dollars mark. That's a lot of money. I disagree with that. If you were to ask a slave throughout history, um, so one hundred fifty dollars is what two days um, income at minimum wage. If you were to add, uh, ask you, you the did hear slave, the part where they live paycheck to paycheck, right? And they don't have that's a decision that they make with their cigarette smoking and their beer drinking. Oh, lay off if they just laid days. off the Starbucks, they'd be able to <laughs> buy themselves a house. Listen to me. I bought a house at my slave, age. Listen to me. If you were to ask the average slave throughout history if two days' work was a sufficient amount to, to free them, if that was if it was a generous offer, I think they would say yes. That only but gets instead, the you're passport. like, oh, I'm a millennial. I need a Starbucks. Mark, that only gets them the passport. That gets them no closer to anything. All that gets is a government sheet of paper saying, hey, look, technically, you can go when you want. Now, yeah, that's now, all it takes. Now, add in the all, it is want. not all it takes. Where are they going to walk to Bolivia? Physically move somewhere else. Most people have family that they might would have to bring with them. They have costs involved in moving. Now, I guess you could say you could just sell everything, right? And that's always a good idea, right? You want to sell a if lot of stuff. If they have something to own, before, but some people don't. Before you move. Uh, but then you got to figure out where you're going to move to. What are you going to do when you get there exactly? Well, the average person the, doesn't have the ability the to work remotely, Mark. Like you do. To put the dilemma of somebody who's made poor financial decisions their entire life and then tell me, solve their problem in one week. We're not telling you to do that. Some of these people never had a chance to make bad financial decisions, Mark. Some of these people are just born from poor families. We're just trying to explain to you that people are not in the same circumstances as you. They don't have a remote I don't know that. I grew up in a house. We didn't have a washer and a dryer. Okay, well, you seem to have forgotten where you came from. I haven't forgotten anything. You act like these people can't solve their problem. And they can. You can make good financial decisions. That I'm not sure today. that moving from the United States to the Honduras is going to solve. I'm not their recommending problems. you move to the United States in the same way that you don't recommend people move to New Hampshire poor. You just recommend start- it. Actually, no. I've told people. Look, I mean, there have been success stories of people who've come here with the shirt on their back and they've made it work. I don't recommend it, but it can be done. And I'm sure the same thing can be done for somebody who wants I had to very go. Very little when I got here. Right. I'm sure the same thing can be done for somebody who wants to move down to Honduras and work for you know five cents an hour or whatever the hell you get paid uh, on a farm there, or you know working at a restaurant for a fraction of what you'd get paid here in the United States. That's the other challenge: is what does somebody do when they get down there and they don't know where to be begin with anything like that 
It's a new world. Um, I think it's best if if somebody if you what you're doing is you're boxing me in and you're saying, Mark, solve their problems. And I'm not here to solve their problems. I'm here to say that if you make a decision to remain within a system, then then it's not theft anymore. They don't have the resources to lead the system, Mark. One hundred fifty dollars only gets you the passport. You got a gun to your head. They say, if you don't pay, you come to our cage or we'll kill you. That is absolutely extortion, 100%. That's what that is. And just because you're saying if you pay the extortion gang $150, they'll let you go to some other place where another gang is going to do the exact same thing to them is hardly saying that those people have a choice or have some sort of semblance or a shot at freedom. Let's put a number on it. Plus, when that gun is to your head... But for $5,000, you can move to this other place. Because that's ultimately what it's probably going to take, to move to another country and establish oneself and not starve to death and be homeless. Yeah, you're going to need a few bucks. I I would estimate at least $5,000. That includes everything. Travel expenses. Seems fair. That seems on the low end. Yeah. So these well, people it, who live paycheck vast, to paycheck have to save up five grand. I think it vastly for different countries. So, for instance, I'm going to Morazan City right now. Uh, you can mm-hmm. find the website at morazan.city. Mm-hmm. And I currently rent a place there for 100 well, call it $200 a month. Okay. What, what do you do for work there? there? What's that? What do you do for work there? Well, I don't. Uh, I'm going to be moving Free Talk Live, or at least my operation of Free Talk Live there. Okay, could, but you're not working in Morazan City. What could this person who's living paycheck to paycheck do there? Um, I, look, I don't know. I'm not here to tell everybody. I can't design a marketplace. I'm not asking you. I'm just trying to get you to understand that what you're saying is really easy is not at all easy for someone who doesn't. I'm not have saying it's easy. I'm saying you opt into it by making the decisions you make every single That's day. That's blaming the victim, t- dude. Stop making bad decisions. You'll stop getting bad results. You cannot sit there and say that uh, what these people are doing is a bad decision for simply trying to make things work where they are and take care of their families where they are and yet then excuse the government and saying that what the government is I'm doing is totally fine. I'm not excusing the government. It's highly inefficient. It's just but you're, you're saying you're the- excusing them by saying it's not theft or it's not extortion, and it absolutely is. Look, man, all you're doing is saying that, you know, you're you're calling it a slave plantation when you can walk off. But and to another plantation. plantation, you can't thing, walk off. You need five thousand dollars to walk slavery, off. Yes, you can. You the need slavery, resources thing, that these people don't have. The thing that makes slavery slavery is that somebody will point a gun in your face and say, if you try to leave this land, I'm going to smoke you. OK, and that's not what's happening here. So it's not. Slavery. Oh, it's not. So what do you call it then when you can leave plantation A and then go to plantation B where they'll then put a gun to your head? A choice between plantations. <laughs> They're not putting a gun to your head. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. I can actually see your face and you are serious. <laughs> he is serious about this. I, I cannot mean, wait to clip that for TikTok. Yeah, more, you got to clip that, that was, one. Huh, that Make was a note. solid. Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, the level of delusion to uh, to say something like I that. I like that no, you can see I'm his face. I've been wondering got, about that. You've got choices, and it's not even 200 nations. It's far more than that. There's all kinds of different choices, and if you decide to take a look rather than just saying, woe is me, I'm a modern-day slave, you're not. That's not necessarily true for everyone, Mark. I mean, there are not 200 options. Like, for me, you know, uh, forgetting the bail restrictions and all of that, mm-hmm. there getting are the nowhere near 200 okay. countries in the United States that I could live at safely and 
productively. There just aren't. Uh, not, not as a felon, that's for sure. Well, I mean, if you take all of that out, yeah. right? You, and you immediately lose. You immediately lose all of all of Africa, all of the Middle East, mm-hmm. a lot of Asia. You basically leave and most of South America. Yeah, here's what I want to know. You work at uh, Pizza Place. Yep. The, and that Pizza Place probably exists in other countries. I know it does sure. in uh, in Mexico, for instance. They make the pizza differently, from what I understand, but they do exist there. Um, what do you think they pay hourly? Ooh, in Mexico or in Honduras or in any of these Central American uh, countries? Low. Maybe an, maybe a dollar, two dollars an if hour. If you're going to work at a pizza place. In, yes, like um, the, you, you say that mockingly, like it's not a, a way that's keeping millions of people in the United States alive each day. It's paying their bills and keeping their families fed. See, it's a great idea if you are a, a digital nomad. If you're somebody who can make money online, you've got a you know you're an influencer. Most or whatever digital it is. nomads are poor, and I don't know why you're belittling what they do. Why are you belittling, belittling pizza makers? I'm not belittling it at all. I'm saying if I'm not, you are, I'm saying if you think you're going to go to a foreign country and make pizzas and survive, you're not. That's, that's the exactly problem, the problem. Mark. Uh, you know, the, the point is, I'm not belittling digital nomads. The digital nomads are able to make this work because they can work from anywhere. A lot of people have a certain set of skills that they developed, and they cannot do the same thing or certainly make as much. Anyway, out of time tonight. We'll see you tomorrow online, freetalklive.com. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact i believe like i said uh, a lot of where i am now is due to listening to free talk live you changed my mind on some very important issues years ago to random people tuning in on the radio i was kind of stuck in the left right paradigm i heard your show by chance on a saturday night from there i went on joined the free state project and become an amplifier so i mean that's really the reason why i amp is uh because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com.